I mean, what's the football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube. It's time for our Week 17 NFL Preview. And uh, yeah, sorry, we're starting a little bit early here today. Got a hard out. Mm. So we gotta, we're going to cruise through it here, Sam. Week 17. No cruising. You got you to gotta fire through it. You got to be gone. Yes. All 16 games. And it's uh, Week 17. It's the last week of the season for me. I'm not doing Week 18. Refuse. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that won't work. You've anyway. Always, uh, you've always been against the final week. I'm against it. I don't want to work it. I don't want to do it. As I've said, my body clock is saying this is it. This is all I can This is all I can grind out as far as, you know, 10 games in the 1 p.m. window this week. That's all I can do. So let's do it. Um, it all starts tonight. New York Jets at the Cleveland Browns. It's the last Thursday night football game of the season, Sam. This is it. Wrapping it up with uh, Jets and Browns. Browns favored by 7.5 with a chance to they can clinch a playoff spot here right mm-hmm. with the win with joe flacco going up against his former team yeah the jets vacation time for al after this game that's it huh just on the jet onto the beach it's been a good year for al ish mm. um so he's gonna he's getting cut from the playoffs al's not making the playoffs no but um it's not even on the bubble or in the hunt it's just out <laughs> eliminated man the browns really put themselves in an amazing position the number one defense and epa per play and then of course the most obvious mismatch here is the browns number one pass rush grade in the nfl per pff against the jets in their third worst pass blocking grade with trevor simeon at the helm again because zach wilson's still in concussion protocol it looks like um as long as flacco doesn't implode here sam Mm. cleveland should take care of business and go to the playoffs as a team that probably don't want to play in the playoffs the way their defense is playing and uh they feel like a team that's just kind of a, a glimpse for the Jets of what they could have had. You know, Joe Flacco, who used to be a quarterback on the Jets, and now he's the guy that's steering the ship for the Browns, who are like those two teams are in very similar situations in terms of being carried by the defense, no quarterback to speak of, and one of them is making it work and the other one isn't. Um, now there are differences, like the Browns offensive line, even down three starting caliber offensive tackles is still significantly better than the Jets. But it, it is the comparisons between the two are difficult to avoid when you consider Flacco used to be the quarterback on the other team. He comes in off the couch and he's sort of rescued their season, whereas the Jets just can't find any type of viable quarterback play at this point. Flacco now has the same number of passing touchdowns as the New York Jets does this season. The New York Jets do. Um, so... For the Jets, for Salah, for everybody involved there, it does feel very difficult to avoid the, you know, looking across and being like, maybe we should have had him instead of Tim Boyle. Mm. Yeah, a lot of hindsight, but uh, there was foresight for a lot of people too. As soon as Aaron Rodgers went down, you going to make a move, Jets? You going to make a move? I don't know anybody that would have the foresight, though, to call Joe Flacco off the couch and expect him to have a game like he did last week in particular. No. Chucking it down the field, making big-time throws, throwing 10 touchdowns and just, what, four starts. Nobody expected that. No, but there absolutely were people saying, 
you know, Flacco might be better than the current options. Yeah. Like maybe Flacco is a guy you should call up. It's one of my favorite times of the year, though, Sam. One of my favorite because I get to say things like this. The Cleveland Browns can clinch a playoff berth with a win or a tie. We could root for a tie here tonight if you're a Browns fan. Or this weekend, a Pittsburgh loss or tie, a Buffalo loss, a Jacksonville loss or tie, or a Houston loss or tie plus a Colts loss or tie. That's what you're rooting for this weekend, Browns fans, for just a playoff spot. Okay. But just take care of business tonight. And they're in. They're seven and a half point favorites. Um, I think all year, man, I thought coming into the season, we thought the Browns had a good roster. They just needed to get good enough quarterback play. And ironically, I think Deshaun Watson was on his way there before he got hurt. But it's been Joe Flacco who's been there giving them good enough quarterback play. So, again, as long as he doesn't implode, I think they win this game. Which is possible, by the way. I mean, the Jets, the Browns have the number one defense in the NFL. The Jets' defense is still very, very good and absolutely capable of causing problems for Joe Flacco. And, you know, he's coming off, like, what was it, the best game he had since 2017, something crazy like that. But he's coming off one of the best games he's had in years. So the narrative is riding high. It's all, hey, look at Joe Flacco. He's rescued the season. He's amazing. Like, this this could easily be a game where you get very bad Joe Flacco. Well, it's the number one team in EPA per play against, the Browns, and then the, versus the number three team, the Jets. And again, we've the Jets happen to have the number one coverage grade in the NFL. We've been citing just how difficult they've made life for, for most opposing quarterbacks this right. year. That absolutely could happen. We could have one of those classic Thursday night 12-9 to games. Sure. I mean, Joe, yeah, Flacco is only a week removed from having a four-turnover-worthy play game. You know, if he does that against the Jets' defense, they, I mean, number one, it would be very difficult for the Browns to cover six points if that happens, but also the Jets are live in the game if that happens. Well, let's make some picks here. Seven and a half, is that too much for the Browns at home here? You may have talked me out of it. You know, the, the high is the last thing we saw was Flacco playing just unbelievable last week, but is that the, is that the norm? Probably not. No. Where are you going with this one? Uh... All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to oh, hate it. I'm going to go with the Jets keeping up within that giant sum of points. All right, I'm going to go with my first instinct. It's, despite you trying to talk me out of it, I'll take the Browns covering this. It's a big number for seven and a half here on Thursday night football. Before we get into the rest of the action, don't forget, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Sam. Uh, I don't know if – let's do Saturday night – Saturday night's game, we'll get into the Discord game of the week, and then I think the most obvious game of the week, which is Dolphins-Ravens. But let's start with Saturday night. We've got one game this Saturday. NFL's really slacking. There's all sorts of open windows on the 30th. They're not filling them. Lazy. Lazy. Very lazy. 
There's, they're, but they're going to throw 10 games in the 1 p.m. slot. I don't have enough screens for that. Mm. It's going to be 4, 4. There's no computer, Monday game either? iPad. What's that? No Monday game either? No I mean, Monday night game. This is just laziness. You're going to watch the college football playoff this New Year's Day. Why, so is this a legal thing that they can't run it during the college thing, or they just decide not to? No, it's just like a – it's just – well, businesses make – It's a cordial agreement. It's not even an agreement. Like, businesses like to make decisions that are best for business. Uh-huh. So while it might on the surface be like, well, the NFL is doing the NCAA a solid, not, uh-huh. you know, going head-to-head with Monday Night Football. But the NFL would not want to run Monday Night Football against the college football playoff for their own purposes because it doesn't make sense. Wouldn't they, though? No, they would not. So, yeah, there'll be no – they always do this, though. If, if the college football playoff happens to be on a Monday or whatever, they'll move things around. So, Monday night football is on Saturday night this week. This is the Monday night football crew. This is going to be Troy and Joe. Um, so, that's Saturday night, 8-15, Detroit Lions at the Dallas Cowboys. The schedule makers, when they, when they put this one on the board, they say, hey, these two teams could be good. This could be a nice way to finish the season. They nailed this one. Lions and Cowboys, uh, both 11-4, and four, both battling – Potentially for number one overall seed. Sorry, the uh, Cowboys are 10-5. and five. Um, Number one seeds in play for Detroit. We talked about that the other day. Dallas favored by six here, though, at home. And I haven't checked the update, but I did see somewhere this is the highest total in any game this year. So Any game this year? Yeah. The Vegas, the men in Vegas is expecting a shootout here between Lions and Cowboys. Wow. What is the total? Low 50s. 52 or something like that. I haven't looked. 53 and a half. Yeah, there you go. With 90% of the cash coming in on the over. On the over. 97%. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, Dallas last week, they were in Miami in, in, you know, one of those heavyweight battle type of games, you know, two of the best teams in the NFL, and it ends up 22 to 20 and slowed down after it looked like it might have been a shootout. What are we going to get here with Lions-Cowboys? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those classic – litmus test games for both teams i think i mean they've had a few of them like dallas the narrative is going to be against them because they lost the game against miami but i think they showed that that they can beat a team like that they just didn't in that game but if they do that again like that's the problem is they come close and don't get there so to an extent it's valid like they actually need to get over the hump against some of these teams um, because you're going to have to do it multiple times in the playoffs if you want to go on any kind of run Detroit is another one of those teams that can cause them all kinds of problems. Now, with Detroit, it's a case of, you know, can the good version of the team show up or do they have one of those clunking games that they have every few weeks? That's their problem. But from a matchup point of view, like Dallas's offense should absolutely be able to have all kinds of success against Detroit's defense. Um, and I think whether or not you get a passing version of, of the Lions' offense or they just run the ball mercilessly, that should have success as well. So I think the over does make sense. A high-scoring game does make sense. There's just enough defense on either side to keep it interesting, but it should be a pretty high-octane shootout. Yeah, this is the, the Lions' run game, especially with the, the narrative for the Cowboys in recent weeks, You know, when they don't have Jonathan Hankins out there, Mozzie Smith has not been great holding the point. They've got these undersized linebackers, basically safeties playing in the box, and – when they do put linebackers out there, Demon Clark last week, you know, p- picking the wrong gap with the game on the line on third and two, leaving a wide open hole for the Dolphins to pick up six and basically clinch the game. Dallas's run defense, and it was just two weeks ago that they got gashed by the Buffalo Bills and James Cook on the ground. So the Cowboys' run defense has had the microscope on them in recent weeks, even though for the season it's not bad as a team, but in recent weeks, 
microscope on the Cowboys' run defense and the Lions' run at, run at, rushing attack with Jameer Gibbs, with David Montgomery, with uh, Panay Sewell having one of the best seasons we've seen from a tackle, I think in PFF history, especially from a run game perspective. The Lions have all the ingredients to exploit that. So, yeah, I think there's it, it's a great matchup, I think, on that side of the ball. Um, the Lions, Lions and Cowboys, both teams have not been nearly as good on the road as they've been at home as far as putting points on the board and – you know, Dallas being at home, I think it's huge. That's why they're favored by six. But I think Detroit has the ability to um, slow the game down, dominate on the ground. And then, um, yeah, other side of the ball, Dak against this Detroit defense. The defense has been kind of hit or miss in Detroit, both in the secondary, and we've talked a lot about their uh, inconsistency getting pressure outside of Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, I mean, it's generally been miss. <laughs> Not so much hit or miss, just just miss. Uh, even well, it's been like last week they gave up a ton of yards. Yeah, so that's but the thing. then they like, got turnovers. Nick Mullins had seven turnover-worthy plays, but he also had like eleven yards per attempt and put up four hundred on them. Right. Like that, that Lions defense has been getting fairly well gashed, and I don't imagine Dak Prescott is going to have the kind of implosion in terms of turnovers that Nick Mullins had. So, yeah, it it, it feels like Detroit's defense is going to have its work cut out slowing down Dallas. Yeah, that would be my concern, would be that side of the ball for the Lions. And, and like I said, um, it sounds like James Houston will have his um, practice window opened up, could be, could be back for the playoffs. Um, but the Lions have already clinched the division. I don't think that affects how they play here. I think if, if Detroit loses this game, they, they might be in uh, rest the starters mode in Week 18 because I don't know if – they, I assume if they lose – Given what the Eagles and Niners have for their games, the Lions are probably locked in to the number three seed if they lose this game. But if they win, like I said, they've they've got this path, or they would need help, but they've got this path to having a bye. Is Dan Campbell a rest the starters kind of guy? That's a good question. And that game is against the Vikings. So it would be resting the starters against a divisional rival. It's a division rival. Who you could put into the playoffs by doing that. So not just a team you probably don't like to begin with, but a team you would actively potentially be putting into the playoffs by resting your starters that you don't like yeah. so <clears throat> I, I don't know if Detroit rests them either way uh one other element in this game that's pretty important Tyron Smith the Dallas left tackle was hurt last week it was a big problem they when he's not there it's a huge loss at left tackle um we don't know if he's going to play yet there he didn't practice yesterday it's up in the air at the moment but if he's not there I mean look Detroit doesn't necessarily have the pass rush is to take advantage of it, but it certainly makes it a lot easier if he's not if he's not available. Um, the line on the other side, I mentioned Panay Sewell. When he matches up with Micah Parsons, or that's going to be an incredible matchup. Or any time, I mean, really, when Frank Ragnow's, he uh, Ragnow's healthy, the Lions' offensive line is fantastic. Taylor Decker at left tackle. I mean, they've got one of the better lines in the NFL going up against this great Dallas pass rush, which isn't just Micah Parsons lining up against tackles. You know you're going to stunt. You're going to get him lined up over the guards. Uh, there is probably weakness at left guard for the Lions. The Cowboys like to attack. So watch, just watch for Micah Parsons. Watch where 11 is lined up all the time for Dallas. I bet he has eight or ten one-on-one matchups with Panay Sewell, but they'll move him around. Um, I think that's going to be the difference in the game. I think it's Detroit's offense trying to keep up with Dallas's offense in this one. I think it's Detroit making sure that they run their game, get Gibbs his carries, um, get the ball to Amonra St. Brown and Sam Laporta, 
create a couple of those deep shots to their speed receivers. I think Detroit has to keep up. I like the shootout as um, an expected game flow, I guess, because I think Dallas's offense is going to have a lot of success. So anything else to add here before we make our picks? Nope. Dallas by six. Is that too much for the 11-4 and four Lions at the 10-5 and five Cowboys on Saturday night? Yep, it is for me. I'm going with Detroit to at least keep it within six, even if they don't win. Yeah, I think that's, that's where I want to go to. It's a lot of points for the Lions. The Lions are the team that, what, three or four times this year, they've just been randomly blown out. Yeah. And so I think, you know, Vegas is basically predicting that, right, that Dallas is going to win by a touchdown and a lot of points are going to be scored in this game. But I'll, I'll take Detroit to, um, to keep it within the six here. The other game of the week, I don't, do you have a Discord game of the week? Uh, no, there isn't one this week. We, uh, the Discord is late with the, uh, with oh, the good. selections. Because I get the other game of the week. It's the Dolphins at the Ravens. They kept it in the 1 o'clock window. Um, it's in Baltimore. Controversial. Yeah, it is a little bit because this week's schedule, like, like I said. Three, 4 p.m. slot games. We couldn't have this in one of them? Yeah, and the 4 p.m. slot games you know, looked better before the season because it, w- it was supposed to be Burrow versus Mahomes. Right. It's not. No. Um, but Dolphins-Ravens, is one, uh, they're one of ten games in the one o'clock window this week. So um, Ravens are favored by three and a half. The number one seed in the NFL on the line here, or in the AFC is on the line here. The Ravens have a one game lead over Miami. Miami has a serious test to end the season. It was Cowboys last week. They passed that test. They're in Baltimore this week. They're at home against Buffalo in week 18. Can Miami prove they are the team to beat in the AFC? Yeah, another big test. I mean. There's, there's this constant stream of tests against this Miami offense that's been um, so incredible this season. Like every good slash different defense that they come up against is like an intriguing matchup for them. So Baltimore obviously is the latest one. The Ravens have this all-time uh, passing defense in terms of yards per attempt going up against this offense that's just absolutely cooking people, particularly over the middle. Uh, we said this heading into the 49ers game, but... Kyle Hamilton is one of those players that's critical to how that defense performs, but also unusually uh, important at defending this particular type of offense. Now, obviously, they're different personnel and and slightly different ways of doing it, but effectively the same scheme, the same offense. With the 49ers, they're going to you know target Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, et cetera. With Miami, it's Tyreek Hill and it's Jalen Waddle. But either way, I think. Hamilton is an important part of the matchup, and it seems unlikely he will play this time, though he's defied that previously the last time he hurt his knee. But if he's missing, you know, how much of an impact does that make to this Baltimore pass defense that has been otherwise, you know, historically good? Yeah, man, I I love Kyle Hamilton and what he's able to do. I posed a question on Twitter yesterday about force multipliers, right? Players that you you know that they're doing a little bit more than whatever we can quantify from a production standpoint. I think Tyreek Hill on one side for Miami is one of the more obvious ones over the last couple of years where his production's through the roof, but you feel what he does and the gravity that he has as a receiver. But some people in my mentions asked about or you know, mentioned Kyle Hamilton. I mean, he's only in year two, but his ability to line up all over the place and and do it all, right? Like play play as a slot or a, a safety or in and around the line of scrimmage with with range and um, just does so much for that defense that that would be a potentially massive loss. I, I think what you mentioned though, the fact that the Ravens are going up against the same system 
two weeks in a row. It's just interesting in the mm. schedule, right? I mean, they played the Niners, and now they're playing Mike McDaniel, who was just with the Niners two years ago. Same system, but as we've said before, it's it's run differently by their quarterbacks. It's 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 run differently, right? It's run it's quicker with Tua. Everything that Tua does is you know half a second quicker, which is an eternity in the NFL. Everything's faster. Um, different types of playmakers, right? Miami's built on speed. The Niners have uh, difficult to tackle tight end and Kittle. They have Debo Samuel, who's a running back with the ball in his hands. It's a different style, but the same idea, right? They're trying to create space over the middle of the field. And, you know, I think, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah saying when they was watching the Ravens-Niners game, when we were watching it, the Ravens are built through the middle. And I've said this on the podcast a lot this year. When you're going up against Shanahan, they ta- in his scheme, they attack linebackers. They attack the middle of the field. And so teams that have two good linebackers have an opportunity to, you know, slow down because of what they can do in the run game, what they can do in coverage. So the Ravens, like we know where Tua wants to throw the ball. It's that 15 to 20-yard range behind the linebackers with a couple deep shots to Tyreek Hill. With Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, do the in, in if and when Kyle Hamilton can see the field in this game, we'll see. Can those guys be the X factors that slow down the the, the places where Miami really wants to throw the football? Um, somebody needs to do a study on like the average the average length of the injury report, specifically for Teron Armstead around week 16, 17. Uh, you know, he's one of a number of Dolphins players on the injury report. Naturally, he's the only one though on the injury report with knee, ankle, back. I remember last year it was the same thing. He was on the injury report with like four separate injuries, still playing. But wow. the man is just nothing works on the man. Yeah. Sometimes we play, sometimes he won't. But he's constantly dealing with like four or five injuries. I mean, I, the, the injury report for both teams here. I just mentioned Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen. They're both technically questionable here. Hamilton was, uh, they said, estimated as a non-participant yesterday. I'm assuming they didn't have. I don't know what they did for practice coming off the Monday night game. Right. Um, you know, Zay Flowers is on there is questionable with a calf. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's that time of year, right, where yeah, a lot of the key players are going to be banged up. But yeah, Teron Armstead is a special case of banged up. Um, but the Ravens have been so good. But he, like, I mean, even just last week, he played, had the best grade of any offensive lineman on the team, didn't give up any pressures. Like, it's amazing. When he's out there, he's one of the top three tackles in the NFL. It's just that 25% of the season, his body is going to betray him, and one of his seven injuries is going to, flare up enough that he can't be out there um, Ravens defense number two in EPA per play allowed um, so again question wise for the for the Dolphins they haven't played I mean they, they played the Jets who are one of the better defenses they've had success against the Jets um, offensively even without Tyree Kill the Chiefs are number four in EPA per play allowed the Dolphins did not have a good game against the Chiefs um, scored 14 points on offense didn't really move the ball until the second half. The Cowboys are number seven in EPA per play allowed. Dolphins had some success last week, as we mentioned. They scored the the 22 points, and there was you know maybe more to be had there, and um, they win the game. So again, the Dolphins are a team that are, they're averaging over 30 a game. Not expecting them to put up 30 against the Ravens, but can they get to 20 to 24 and then slow down this Ravens offense? And so it's going to be the other side of the ball maybe that determines things. Lamar Jackson, Ravens offense going against this Dolphins defense that has been cooking in recent weeks. Yeah, and that side of the ball is really fun as well. I mean, that that was the 
the biggest takeaway actually for me for that Ravens 49ers game everyone was focusing on the meltdown from Brock Purdy and the 49ers offense but to me the more important or more impressive element of it was Baltimore Lamar Jackson the 49ers couldn't stop them couldn't slow them down they didn't have answers to any time Lamar decided to make plays um, so now you go that's being tested against Vic Fangio's defense which is that this defense, I think, has been hit or miss this season. Like, it's had games where it's taken over. And even their pass rush, which is not amazing on paper, they've had games where they absolutely take over and dominate. Um, so, you know, what, what kind of answers does Vic Fangio have for Lamar Jackson? Uh, Andrew Van Ginkle needs a lot of credit yeah. for the Dolphins. He's one of the highest-graded edge defenders this year. I feel like we've mentioned him in a lot of the review shows because it's like, oh, he just, he just came out of here with a Right, but you know, not like an six. overall level. And he's got a 91.5 grade overall and a 91 pass rush grade uh, and a 90 coverage grade, which for an edge rusher doesn't sound important until you understand that only Michael Hoyt has dropped into coverage on more snaps uh, than Andrew Van Ginkle as an edge rusher in today's NFL, 140 over the season, which is a lot. Yeah, he's got that interception, four other pass breakups. Van Ginkle's been very good. Um, so I think, again, the the interesting thing against the Ravens, it's not about, like, our pass rush grades usually focus on the, the wins and the losses, right, and in, in, uh, defeating the blocker somewhat quickly. With the Ravens, though, the question is, okay, can you win? Yeah, win, you're going to win a few reps. What's going to happen there? Because we've seen Lamar Jackson pull out some of these spectacular – um, scramble to throw type plays or scrambles like you did on Monday night against the uh, 49ers can you get Lamar Jackson to the ground you know that's going to be the key here so I think I think it's always interesting how pass rushes handle the mobile quarterback um, you know you, you have to teach your rushers are you just trying to compress the pocket can you just uh, let the walls cave in on him don't overcommit don't get out of your rush lanes and then you know play the escape routes or are you actually trying to win quickly and create that negative play as every pass like you want like you want to have an eight to ten yard sack right you want to create that loss attack uh you know that negative play for the offense I think it's always interesting how a defense is going to attack that and I think when you watch Lamar on film the last couple weeks it could be one of those games where you're saying okay we just don't want to let him do that keep him in the pocket less worried about wins more worried about playing contain if the the trend of the season continues the Every time there's an MVP favorite, he has a terrible game. <laughs> we move on to somebody else. Lamar Jackson is now the MVP favorite after the Brock Purdy uh, 49ers faceoff. So if the season continues the way it has the rest of the year, this will be a bad Lamar game, and then we're back to square one with no idea who MVP is. Maybe Tua puts himself in the conversation. If yeah, he beats yes, the team that's Or Tyreek back again. Or Tyreek. You know, I will say that. I mean, if Tyreek goes like 11 catches for 215, something like that, Tyreek could lock up the... Uh, I honestly the think if Tyreek Hill hadn't been hurt and missed time, he would be at least my current front runner for MVP. I think you can construct a Tyreek Hill case for MVP um, in this year of all years, where, as we said, like every time there's a front runner, that guy has a bad game. Yeah. Or, or the other front runner is like, we don't even know if he's the most valuable player on his own offense between a choice of like three or four players. Yeah, I mean, my, my two cents on it very quickly. The, the 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 problem with the MVP this year, like if you looked Brock Purdy and his stats, that was the argument. Look at his stats. No one's had his stats and not won MVP, or at least not been very much in the conversation. Mm -hmm. You could say the same thing for Tua and his stats: eight point six yards per attempt. He's got twenty six touchdowns, which that that's not a monster number, but um, 
passer rating of 105.9. Those are MVP caliber numbers. Every player that has those numbers also has this system thing attached, not because we're being unfair to them. It's because we literally saw the Shanahan system have a ton of success with other quarterbacks, or you look at their playmakers and you're like, wow, they're doing a lot of the work. Or yeah. we knew what Tua was before Tyreek Hill got there. Right. And so it, so every single guy that's like in the MVP race has those caveats to it. And then you have a Lamar Jackson where the production isn't as good and we're just assuming, well, he probably does more to elevate his team, which, I'm, which I buy into, but is, I don't know if it's enough to say, yeah, that dude's the, the MVP. So it's just, you know, making everything more difficult in the MVP discussion. So... Um, it's a great football game. It's at 1 o'clock. That also affects the MVP voters who's watching at 1. <laughs> you know, it's not like it's Christmas night when everybody's watching. Yeah, well, now they're being split. Ten games going on. This is, you know, this needs to be uh, an island game. Um, two games I just wanted to cite really quickly, which might have nothing to do with this. Um, last year, week two, Dolphins and Ravens. I think it was week two, right? This is right when Mike McDaniel gets there. This is... Tua and McDaniel were just starting to see them together. And this was the first time they looked great. They had a they had an okay they had a not so good week one against New England that year. And then a not so good first three quarters. It's in Baltimore. And the Dolphins make a miraculous fourth quarter comeback with 28 points against the Ravens. Ravens collapse. Dolphins win it. Tua goes 36 for 50 for 469 yards and six touchdowns. To that point, the six touchdowns represented a third of his career touchdowns, passing touchdowns in like year two plus. This was the this was the first time we ever saw this Dolphins offense with Mike McDaniel and Tua be explosive. The other one I wanted to cite was when Brian Flores was still there and they kept going zero blitz against Lamar Jackson and beat Baltimore. So the Dolphins have had, whatever the history means, the Dolphins might have this game in the back of their head, at least the Tua McDaniel game where they created big plays against this Ravens defense. It's a different Ravens defense, but I wonder how much that might be a factor for Miami's confidence going into this game in Baltimore because they did that week two last year. Um, Ravens favored by three and a half here. Number one on everybody's power rankings right now. Where are you going in this one? Um, I'm going to go with the Ravens. I I think they've been very impressive I until I see – Vic Fangio or the Dolphins defense slow that offense down. I think they're going to have success on on that side of the ball, and I don't know if Miami's um, offense is going to have the same level of success against a very good pass attack yeah, or think, pass I, defense, rather. I think I'm trusting, and again, the, the the Lamar MVP case you could say is that the the Ravens control the flow of the game, and so the defense is good, and Lamar Jackson and that Ravens offense have so many answers with his. Uh, his running ability, his scrambling ability, all the power, the speed and quickness that they have on that team. I think Baltimore has the ability to control the game, both sides of the ball, and then the pressure's on Miami to create some big plays. And even if they get a couple, play for play, I like Baltimore as well. We'll see what happens with Kyle Hamilton. That could be a big loss. But give me the Ravens. Give me the Ravens to cover the three and a half. I need to cite what's at stake, though, too. Where's this? <laughs> Baltimore clinches the AFC North. They win the A, but more importantly, the number one seed with a win. Okay, so the number one seed, Baltimore wins it. If Miami wins, they clinch the AFC East title with a with their own win or a Buffalo loss. And if Miami wins, 
they can have the number one seed if they just win their next two games, which was this game against Baltimore, of course, and then next week against Buffalo. So needed to make sure we get that in. Good? Mm-hmm. No more use for this game. All right, let's get to the rest of the 1 o'clocks. We'll roll through them here. Carolina Panthers at the Jacksonville Jaguars. A little battle of 1995 expansion teams here, Sam. Jags are favored by 6.5. It's a must-win game for the Jags, of course. Um, sitting there at 8-7 and seven and tied atop the AFC South with two other teams record-wise. Jags with a four-game losing streak. They were 8-3 and three just a few weeks ago. Uh, Trevor Lawrence banged up with the Teron Armstead of injuries here. He's got he's got more injuries than Teron Armstead. We'll just say that, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. Um, but it really looks like his shoulder could keep him from going. But, man, every time, you know, we're not expecting Lawrence to play. Yeah. He does play. Like he came back against the Saints this year, too. How many injuries has he had? That, that feels like an eternity ago. But he had, like, a knee that looked terrible. And he came back for a Thursday night game this mm-hmm. year. Lawrence is pretty... Pretty durable, but I don't know if he can go in this one. Well, I mean, durable would be not getting injured in the first place, I would think, as opposed to somehow being able to battle. No, you're right. There's, this is like Ben Roethlisberger durable. Yeah. Right? You get hurt a lot, but you tough it out or you recover right. quicker. Um, but this feels like, I mean, is this a line that says Lawrence is playing? Are they seven point six and a half, seven point favorites with Beathard at quarterback? I mean, it is the Panthers, and it is interesting. I mean, I know that, but... Bethard. No, yeah, I understand. Bethard, seven point favorite anywhere, ever. And then um, Bryce Young playing better. Now I don't against the Packers. Even the week before, he played well in the rain <laughs> against Atlanta. Ish. Um, the history. So if Bryce Young, if Bryce Young goes on a little run, you're you're you were a Bryce Young fan coming in. I was a Bryce Young fan mm. coming in. We would be. Um, we we know the history here. If, like, Bryce Young has two more good games to finish the season, and you say, well, then the last four games, like, there's a chance Bryce Young in the last four games is, like, a top-ten quarterback I mean, if you God, just look at the last four. It would at least give you a glimmer of hope. I mean, before, yeah, before the Atlanta game, there was nothing, literally no reason for hope. The only reason for hope for Bryce Young before that game was, hey, there have been other quarterbacks that have looked like the worst quarterback in the NFL as a rookie and then not been terrible. They've gone on to be gone on to do good things later in their career. There's nothing like you can't. The the argument was literally not constructed surrounding anything you've seen from Bryce Young. It was like, hey, other guys have also been ass and been okay at the end of it all. At least now you would be able to construct an argument if you were so inclined to say, yeah, we saw some things from Bryce Young late in the year. You know that that touchdown against uh, Green Bay where he scrambles out of the pocket and finds a guy in the back of the end zone. That looked like Alabama Bryce Young. And other quarterbacks have been bad and then turned it around. You know, you would, you would have more than one thing to put in your argument. So, I mean, from that point of view, it's good to at least have some level of optimism on something heading into the end of the year. All I was going to say, though, I mean, I agree. Like, you want to you see, like, things on tape that are positive heading into 2024. Um, I always warn of the rookie season Sam Darnold had in 2018 where he was one of our right. highest graded QBs in the last four games. And it's an easy narrative that rookie figured it out in the last four, you know, you know, sunshine and rainbows heading into the next season. Mm-hmm. I would just worry about that. Um, but I'm still going to uh, – statistical malpractice, I, th- I believe it was called. Someone called me out for recently. I'm going to do it. Right. Over the last two weeks, Sam. Yeah. Bryce Young's QB6. 
for PFF grades. Over the last two weeks. Over right? the last two weeks. You know who's 31st? Uh, no. Patrick Mahomes. Oh, that, I was going to get there. Damn it. I mean, it's Mitchell Trubisky and Patrick Mahomes sitting there at 30 and 31 over the last couple of weeks. So clearly Bryce Young is the guy. Um, anyway, um, don't use those numbers. That doesn't mean anything. No. Um, but, yeah, if you, you still want to see some, some kind of positives for, um, for Bryce Young here going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's, you know, the Panthers have the Jags and then they have the Bucks, two, two playoff teams, playoff caliber teams over these last couple of weeks. It, it is a chance for Bryce Young to finish the season strong or he just had a good game against the Packers like everyone else has. Yes. I mean, that, I, I think that's probably the single most important element in, in this upturn. But as I say, I think it would be – it's good for him and for Panthers fans to see some kind of signs of life at the end of the season. Even if the whole year has been ugly, it's been a write-off, it's been pretty much a disaster for Bryce Young, at least the sign that it hasn't, like, ended him, you know, yeah. is an important thing to see. Um, and, you know, I think the, the Jacksonville defense – it's not, it's not Green Bay. Like, it's not a defense you're like, oh, of course he's going to have a good game. But it's one that you could, you know, have a solid performance against. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that I think is a pretty interesting element to watch is, is can Bryce Young still look, have another good game back-to-back, you know, and put it together against a better defense but not exactly an amazing one. Yeah, the I don't have the splits in front of me, the danger of using splits again, but the Jaguars' defense early in the year was playing much better than they have been recently. They just got smoked by Tampa Bay. Um, they allowed Jake Browning to complete like 90% of his passes on Monday Night Football. The Jags' defense has really fallen off. And my concern with C.J. Beathard, because um, the report by uh, Mike DiRocco of ESPN is Trevor Lawrence probably not going to throw much this week. Mm. Again, he's tough. Is he just going to like game-time decision, just you know, do what you got to do to get out there and play? Maybe. But even then, Lawrence hasn't played well in recent weeks. And if it's Beathard, we mentioned on the show last week, they're the team, the Jags, that don't have a lot of help. Screen game's not great. The run game's not great. The pass blocking's not great. The receivers haven't caught the ball all that well. Like, nothing's really good around the quarterback in Jacksonville this year. And the offenses look good when the quarterback has played at a high end, at a high level. And so you're expecting that from C.J. Beathard. And then the Jags' defense, again, early in the year, they were contesting everything. Right, It was like they were in the hip pocket of receivers, and that just hasn't been the case in recent weeks. Josh Allen, um, now th- that, that's the other thing. Like the Carolina offensive line usually invites yeah. big pass rushing performances. You need Josh Allen, and you need <laughs> Trayvon Walker, again, to finally I mean, do something. The other thing is whether or not it's – whether Trevor Lawrence is actually able to go or not, he's been playing pretty badly in the last few weeks yes. while he's been playing through the injuries. Right. He has 12 turnover-worthy plays in the last four games who's averaging three a game while he's battling through this list of injuries. You know, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is a better option than C.J. Beathard, if it's an option. But this version of Trevor Lawrence, like he's already dealing with a Teron Armstead list of injuries, and they add one more to it. Hey, go out there and throw through the shoulder injury. I mean, if you get another game like he had against Tampa Bay, where he had a 45 grade and put the ball in harm's way multiple times, then it probably doesn't matter whether he's playing or not. Um, so the Panthers the last two weeks, right? They pulled the upset against the Falcons in the rain, almost pulled the upset against the Packers last week. Both games were at home. They'll be on the road here. But um, if you're just looking at how teams are trending, the Panthers have a little bit of hope in life the last couple of weeks. The Jags are going the opposite direction. How much does that matter? So let's make our picks. 
Jags by six and a half against the Panthers. Oh, I can't believe I'm doing it, but Panthers. I'm doing the same thing. Taking Carolina. Battle of the expansion teams from 1995. Am I, am, am I focused too much on, the, uh, on recency bias here? Probably. Almost certainly. All right, before we get to the rest of the games, got to tell you about our prize picks lineup for this week. So all these games in the 1 o'clock window. We got Rashad White going more than 69.5 rushing yards for the Bucks. DeAndre Hopkins going more than 54.5 receiving yards for the Titans. And Matthew Stafford of the Rams going more than 255.5 passing yards. That's how, that's how prize picks works. They have Each player has their projection, and you're just picking more or less. And we're, we're always positive here on the PFF NFL podcast. We're rooting for more. Rashad White rushing yards, DeAndre Hopkins receiving yards, Matthew Stafford passing yards. You guys can do the same over at Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. You pick more, you pick less. It's that easy. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than a two to six player stat projection and then watch the winnings roll in. You could play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill. And comedian Andrew Schultz, you could do that in the community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries for, from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community every single week. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so the entries stay in play, even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So you heard our lineup, we're ready to go. You can play for Thursday night, you can play for this weekend. Whatever you want to do, it's over at prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use, use the code PFFNFL, and you get a first deposit match up to $100. It's a great deal over at prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. All right, man, other 1 o'clock games. Big one here, New Orleans, New Orleans Saints at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Bucks favored by 2.5 against the Saints. Speaking of teams that are trending in certain directions, the Bucks really finding their way the last couple weeks. Um, impressive offensive performances against the Packers, mm -hmm. but also against the Jags last week. Baker Mayfield, I mean, if you want to use the two-week splits, Baker Mayfield's QB2 <laughs> the last couple weeks because I'm still on that page. Um, six touchdowns, no picks, over 10 yards per attempt, passer rating of 141 over these last couple weeks because he had that perfect passer rating, you know, against Green Bay. Um, but the Bucks' offense seems to be finding their way. Defense has been tough, I think, for most of the season anyway. Um, going up against the Saints, and the X factor here is the Saints in Tampa Bay the last couple of years, and the Brady era in particular, always played well in Tampa. You got Mike Evans and Mar Marshawn Lattimore storyline. That's always fun. Yeah, always. Um, can Baker in the in the Bucks look? The Bucks beat the Saints in in Tampa Bay last year. Um, took remember Brady had all those like they would just sleepwalk for three three quarters and then make this ridiculous comeback. It was something like sixteen to three with seven minutes left or whatever mm -hmm. last year. Five minutes left, and the Bucks won. So the Bucks kind of got the monkey off their back beating New Orleans in Tampa Bay, but it's been a thing these last couple of years. And they won handily the first game earlier And in the year. first game in the Dome, the Bucks took it to them. So it could be a whole different thing. Um, but a three-point game, Vegas is expecting, you know, a, a hard-fought division battle here. Yeah, I mean, this is it for the Saints, right? Like, this was the team, this was where they were supposed to be. Like, they were supposed to be the team, albeit with fairly pathetic control over the division, but the team that was going to win this division with Derek Carr being just good enough to take you to the postseason and probably not much further 
uh, and now they now it's not working out. Tampa Bay has seized control of this division with a couple of wins against the division, Carolina and Atlanta, and then those games against uh, Green Bay and Jacksonville. They're on a four-game win streak now, which has propelled them to that 8-7 and seven record, which in the NFC South makes you some kind of god as a team. Um, so it's, you know, it's the team that they were supposed to be versus the team that they actually are. And if the Saints want anything out of this year, they have to show up and have their biggest performance of the year against this Tampa Bay team, which is surging, but against some pretty weak opposition. Is Lattimore even available? He's out, isn't he? Come on. You don't get to see Mike Evans versus Lattimore? No, he's on IR. Boo. As of two days ago. Uh, well, he's still been, he's been on IR, but he's not. Uh, Dennis Allen is non-committal, non-committal about Lattimore, and it seems like he won't return to uh, practice this week, which is always sad. Yeah. Mike Evans is cooking. You know that would really test things. Evans has had some success against Lattimore. Like he'll have a few catches. Yeah, in I mean, that, in that first matchup, remember it was like they were going after it. Evans yeah. took it to Lattimore. They always do. I mean, what makes that matchup fun is that those guys just get hyper physical and yeah. go to war. To be, I mean, obviously Lattimore is the, the best version of that because we've seen it year after year after year. But all those Saints corners play the same kind of way. I mean, even without Lattimore, that, how they defend Mike Evans is something to watch in this game because all of the Saints corners get physical. Paulson Adebo, um, you know, Isaac Yadam, like all of the guys they have get in your face, cause problems, get physical, turn it into a fight. And as long as you have an officiating crew that's willing to work with you, that becomes fun. So the Bucks have a chance. They can clinch the NFC South with a win um, and an Atlanta loss. But if they win this, they, the path, it goes through Tampa Bay either way. Their last two weeks, winning the last two weeks has been huge for the Bucks to put them in this position. For the Saints to win the South, they have to win this game. Then they have to beat Atlanta. I think it's Atlanta in Week 18. And then might still need the Bucks to lose to the Panthers next week as well so the saints would need a lot of help but it all starts here if the saints can pull the upset in tampa bay two and a half point underdogs um again saints offensive line has had issues and they've just been so inconsistent offensively with Derek carr under center um it, every time the saints show signs of life they seem to um just lay an egg yeah and come back down to earth so season's on the line can they do anything here? Uh, last time we saw them, really struggled against the Rams on Thursday night football. Tried to make a little bit of a comeback. Again, why was I so optimistic about the Saints? It was a bad schedule and playmakers. I, all season, I was like, hey, Derek Carr's not great. He's not bad. He's mid-tier quarterback. Mid-tier quarterback with dudes who get open down the field. That should create some explosive offense. Like The raw stats are kind of there for Carr. But there's just something missing all season for the Saints team. So Tampa Bay's defense has been better in recent weeks as well. Now, again, you look at the competition, you're like, how much of that is who they were playing versus actually the Bucks' defense is on an upturn. Um, but that, like, the Bucks' defense should have been better than it has been for a lot of this season. Um, and I think Todd Bowles has taken a lot of criticism because it hasn't been. This is another game where, like, if you want that to continue that the defense needs to show up and all its best players fire and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, like I said, Tampa, in, in Tampa's offense, is like, they're just they're playing better overall. They're still only averaging 18 points a game at home this year, Tampa Bay. Um, but recent trends, if they matter, they're playing well, averaging 31 points per game over the last three weeks, the Bucks. So 
two and a half point favorites, Tampa Bay. Where are you going with this one? Uh, I'm going with the Bucks. I am too. Now, um, are you you going to come back on the Baker bandwagon? No. No, no. Why? Why? I said I wouldn't. He's playing well. Set him out. He's playing well. He's playing pretty well. I'm still, I'm still out. I'm not. I'm not buying back. I'm not getting sucked back into the Baker Mayfield thing. I'm not. No. I've learned. It's over. This is the challenge. I, I did so many radio hits probably two, two and a half years ago, whatever the time period was, when Baker was – they didn't pick up his fifth-year option in Cleveland and let him go. Mm-hmm. And it was like Seattle needed a quarterback in Pittsburgh. And I go on all these radio hits, and I'm like, of course you should take a flyer on Baker Mayfield. Of course you should. Yeah. And then it looked like an idiot, <laughs> right? Because the Panthers did, and he goes to the Rams, and he's just all over the place. And the flyer didn't work. And yeah. the Bucks really just took a simple flyer on Baker Mayfield. They didn't really take a flyer. Like they, He's getting paid for – Sam Darnold is getting paid more money this year than Baker Mayfield. You're right. It wasn't even a flyer. It was really just like the end of musical chairs. It was just like we're not going to bother investing in yeah. quarterback this year. Yeah. We know that we're in you know a cap situation. We're just – he's our bridge quarterback. He's a, he's a starting caliber quarterback. And here they are on the verge of making the playoffs. So I was finally right two and a half years later mm. after, you know, three other stops or whatever it was. Uh, but, yeah, it's been an impressive year for Mayfield. They're already talking about what it looks like to bring him back, if it's a Geno Smith-like, you know, mid-level contract. But um, impressive last few weeks here for Baker and the Bucks. Yeah, I'm not – I'm not – I'm – no. Yeah, I'll take the Bucks to cover, though. Um, Patriots at the Bills. Bills favored by 13 here. Uh, Bills, of course, they have to win out for anything good to happen. Um, they could still make the playoffs, I think, with a loss, but they would need a lot of help. Um, so 13-point favorites here at home. Bailey Zappi in the, in the Patriots. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Bailey Zappi in the Patriots playing better in recent weeks. Huh? Buffalo can clinch a playoff berth with 14. There are 14 different scenarios in which Buffalo can clinch a playoff berth. And you, you're not doing it as reading them out, correct? Scenarios 6 through 14 involve a Buffalo tie. You're right. Yeah, we don't need to read those. No, we don't. I was just checking. Um, you know, late December, Patriots, Bills in New York. In, yeah, what's the in, weather? In Buffalo. I was like, that, that feels like a weather game. It's not, though. 36 degrees and broken clouds. Don't be disappointed now because it's only Thursday. You know in Buffalo, lake effect. It could any at any time it could be like fifty mile an hour winds and snow. Still the coldest I've ever been in my life was a December the twenty seventh game in Buffalo, this game, uh, way back when, when my parents lived in upstate New York. We went to the Bills Patriots. It was the game that was so windy that I was watching Randy Moss and Tom Brady warming up, you know, before the game and they couldn't stand ten yards apart and throw the ball to each other. The yeah. ball wouldn't make it. Uh, somebody this was before they moved the extra point back somebody almost almost missed an extra point short like it went up and hit a wall of wind and then just stopped going forward and dropped and it just dropped over the line uh they had those old like aluminum aluminium bleachers and you go up there and you think well metal things warm up once you sit on them for a while right but when they run the length of the stadium they don't they just suck the heat out of 60,000 people or how many people are there uh so you go in and they're selling like uh seat cushions you're like I'm not paying you know 20 bucks for a seat cushion I'll be fine at halftime you're like give me eight of them I take all the seat cushions that are available 
coldest I have ever been was that game. But this game's going to be 36 in broken clouds. We're just, you can only just hope for some wind. You also have the game a couple years ago where it was 60 mile an hour winds or whatever. Yeah. Mac Jones threw three passes. Mm-hmm. One until like the late fourth <laughs> quarter. That was one of the most ridiculous games to watch of all time. Um, Buffalo's had a lot of success against New England at home. Remember, one of the Patriots' four wins, though, was a fourth quarter comeback by Mac Jones in New England against the Bills. Right? Why are the Bills sitting here with 14 scenarios to make the playoffs in Week 16 rather than just one? Because they lost games like they did earlier in the year to New England. So um, I, I think we all agree Buffalo is hashtag the team you don't want to play come playoff time. Right, The team that's going to have a six or seven seed potentially and um, you know cause some damage. Or there is a path to the division if Buffalo wins out and Miami loses out. Um, but the Bills just have to take care of business here against New England. Yeah, just get over the line. I mean, this is the thing. Like, in the last couple of weeks, they've had that game against Dallas where it looked like the number one seed type Buffalo Bills. And you're like, oh, that's, that's a team. that could, They could be as good as any team in the NFL if they play like that. And then the next game is against the Chargers with Easton Stick, and they barely get over the line in that game. And you're like, okay, they're both wins. They count the same. It doesn't really matter. But one of those teams is scary, and the other one isn't. Um, now, for the purposes of just making the postseason, it doesn't matter. Just get the W and move on. And that's what this game's all about. It doesn't matter if they win by three scores. You know, they clear the 13.5-point spread. They dominate. They walk away into the distance. Or if they somehow sneak it with a last-second field goal and they win by one. You know, just get the win and move on. But it does sort of determine what you think about this team moving forward. Um, you know, obviously they're a better team because they have – both sides of the ball are functional, whereas New England, generally, it's only been one this season. There's a lot of buzz around Bailey Zappi in New England. Why? Because he's been better than Mac Jones. For like a week. Yeah. They're averaging 16 points per game with yeah. Bailey Zappi as starter. Uh-huh. But you would think <laughs> it's better. Yeah. It was impressive. He played a, Last he played week a great was game really against good, Denver. But that was it. Game. That was like the first sign yeah. of life. I mean, Zappi's been, he's had some good plays the last couple of weeks. He, he, was, he was good early on against Kansas City. Like, he's had some flashes even before the Christmas Eve thing, but he would just, you know, had bad turnovers as well. Like, he almost blew the Pittsburgh game and um, had a turnover in his own territory against Kansas City to set, their, to set them up. Like, it's, it's been flashes, but still just, you know, didn't play a complete game until Christmas Eve against Denver. Right. Bailey Zappi's PFF grades by start, 63.6. 69.7, 48.9, and then this 88.9 against Denver. Like, it's basically been one game. And now we're getting excited by Bailey Zappi? It's all relative, Sam. <laughs> it's all relative. All right, that's it for this game. Let's make a pick. Buffalo by 13 here. Some in-depth analysis. Um, I thought, I mean, what else, what else to say here? Um, Josh Allen, by the way, has thrown 36 passes the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, just one, one quick aside, I think it's – Forget it. The MVP stuff. It's just interesting to me that Allen is now like a hot name in the MVP race, mostly because other guys have failed. And yeah. it's coincided with a week to two weeks where he's thrown 36 passes, including two weeks ago. And one. He called himself just like the, uh, the, the guy that did nothing on the school project and got an A mm-hmm. because James Cook carried the offense. And I'm not even saying Allen's played poorly or anything. It's just interesting to me. Um, Allen has I know he's got five touchdowns the last couple weeks and he's had rushing touchdowns in the whole thing um, but I do think that is good in the long run for, for Buffalo finding other ways 
to win. I think the only chance Buffalo loses this is if James Cook keeps fumbling and, you know, they turn the ball over. Josh Allen does his turnover implosion. But 13 is a lot of points. It is. Against the Patriots team playing a, a little feistier in recent weeks. Yeah, I just don't have enough faith in Buffalo to buy into two touchdowns as a spread. Um, so I'm going to go with the Patriots. I wanted to take the Patriots. I'm thinking about the Kansas City game a couple weeks ago, this Kansas City offense where the sky's falling. They mm. beat New England by 10, right. and they dropped touchdowns. Like it could have easily been three scores. Yeah. So give me Buffalo. The it's Bills like, have been the same. Though. I swear I mean, this is my like 20th straight time I've taken the Bills with a 10-point te- uh, spread, and it has not gone well in recent weeks. No. Los Angeles Rams at the New York Giants. Rams favored by 5.5 going to New York here. we got Tyrod Taylor. He is uh, getting the start for the Giants. Yep. The cut Latira is over. Probably. Most likely. Um, Tyrod has been the best quarterback for that Giants team this season. So from that point of view, I think it's interesting to watch. I also am a unashamed Tyrod Taylor stan. Me and Mina. The Tyrod Taylor fan club. It might be just the two of us at this point. but You should do a whole podcast. Yeah, but the two of us are the Tyrod Taylor fan club. So... I'm all for seeing Tyrod Taylor lead a game at home against the Los Angeles Rams, a, p- a playoff team. Yeah. The MVP stuff. Tyrod? Stafford. No, oh, I see. Not enough people talking about Matthew well, Stafford. Well, it's because he had that the first half of the year, there were no stats. The stats were bad. Yeah. But he's been he's So been everyone's like, well. oh, look, he's on a tear right now. It's like he's been playing this way the whole year. It's just a, for some reason for the first half of the year that resulted in like eight passing touchdowns. Remember how I used to describe Stafford as the guy four or five times a year looks like the best quarterback in the yeah. NFL. He's back to – he's got four games above 90 this year. Week one against Seattle, week six against Arizona, and the last two weeks against Washington and New Orleans. Now you might say, okay, those are all against not-so-great defenses. Um, but New Orleans, that was an impressive game that Thursday night game. He is cooking right now. And you got all these on-off splits when he has his, you know, second-year, fifth-round running back, Kyron Williams. Mm. And he's got Puka and Cooper on the, Cooper Cup on the field. This is the best offense in the league for whatever reason. But so if you were making the MVP case for Stafford, like Kyron Williams is playing great. But you would say, well, Stafford's just dragging fifth-round running back Kyron Williams, fifth-round rookie Puka Nakua, yeah. one leg of Cooper Cup. He's just dragging this team, right? They didn't even – they had like – 28 players at minicamp in May because they, you know, they were all they were so young. They didn't have anybody on the roster. It was Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, and a whole, you know, 97 rookies on this team. And Stafford's dragging them to the playoffs to the point where apparently you said, this is the, this is the team you don't want to play, uh, come playoff time. Yeah. I didn't know you did one of those. No, I, I generally – I mean, a couple of weeks ago somebody said that about the Rams, and I was like, I think that's crazy. I think most teams would want to play the Rams in the playoffs. They're not that good. Uh, but actually, over the last couple of weeks, I've come around on that. And I think as long as they have the components to be scary, because you have Matthew Stafford playing at this incredible level, when Cooper Cup, uh, we know what he can do, obviously. We've seen it, 2,000 type of yards you know, over the year. Um, and then, like Puka Nakua, okay, he's a rookie, but obviously we've seen since day one, he can make a huge impact. I think we've also seen at this point, it's not going to go away. Like, it wasn't just this figure. He's not you know, rookie Travis Fulgham. It wasn't just a weird run of, like, games where Puka Nakua was getting fed the ball because uh, because Cooper Cup was hurt, and now that he's back, like, it's going to be a thing. Cooper Cup, or Puka Nakua, rather, 
is absolutely for real. He's making big plays. He's got good hands. He's got run after the catch ability. He's strong. He runs good routes. Like, he's good. Um, and then the Kyron Williams thing looks legit as well. And that offensive line, okay, it's not a vintage Rams offensive line. It's not what it was when it was at its best. But it's shown now to be good enough. So that offense can scare anybody. And then the defense might be the weaker element of the team. But it still brings Aaron Donald to the table. And even if that's all it brings, and it isn't quite, but every single team that has to play the Rams cannot go into a game without spending the week figuring out how Aaron Donald is not going to be a factor in this game. You might look at him and think, oh, he's washed at this point. He's not the same guy. Look at the sack numbers. He still has 16, I think, more pressures this year than any other interior defensive lineman. And he's still one of the most double-teamed players in the NFL. He gets more attention or as much attention as any defensive lineman in the league, and he's still out there wrecking shop. So if you if you don't do that, like if you go, ah, Aaron Donald's washed, forget about it, we just run our game plan, he will ruin you. So every single game they play that week in the playoffs has got to be spent dealing with Aaron Donald. That's important. In addition to the Giants, anytime they face any defensive tackle, the defensive tackle can ruin their game. Well, that's because the Giants have a terrible offensive line. Yeah. yeah. I, I expect Donald to wreak havoc here for sure. Um, it is a battle of the two quarterbacks with the lowest turnover-worthy play rate in the NFL. Stafford and Tyrod. Given sample sizes. Tyrod is classic, doesn't put the ball in harm's way, but probably uh, he doesn't throw turnover-worthy plays, or but he does get sacked a lot generally. Mm. Um, he, his, his sack total this year, though, behind that Giants offensive line, given what Tommy DeVito and Daniel Jones have done, it's like a minor miracle that Tyrod has, has done. It, so when you say he's played the best, like he has done a good job of taking care of the ball, avoiding negative plays, especially relative to the two other QBs. But you know the other thing that's been different about Tyrod this year? Now, look, it's crazy small sample size. The guy's got, what, 135 dropbacks this season. So, you know, But remember right at the start of his Buffalo career, it seem, seemed like every game – when he was starting, every game he was dropping in like one absolutely insane deep bomb or cover two hole shot or just really, really impressive intermediate to deep big time type of throw, right? And then those kind of disappeared over the course of his, of, of his starting career. He was always pretty good in terms of not putting the ball in harm's way, but he stopped making those big plays and that took a lot away from the ceiling of what he could be as a quarterback. And that's why, you know, there was the clamoring for a new guy and Josh Allen comes in and obviously Josh Allen has a much higher ceiling and, and just is, is a better quarterback. But that those big time throws have come back this year for Tyrod in limited starts. Like he's he's actually had quite a few of those big plays. We saw last week he comes in, he drops a bomb to Darius Slayton. Like those things have come back to his game. So not only has he still got that He's not putting the ball in harm's way, whereas the other quarterbacks are. Uh, he's also, even if it's not, you know, every, even if it's not as, as regularly as Josh Allen or even Matthew Stafford, he has rediscovered that touch of what the hell, let's take a shot and hit it. And if that stays, like if that's a thing that's going to be there if he starts games, that makes him a pretty good quarterback. Like he's still working in a bad situation and you know, there is still a ceiling to how good he can be. He's not going to be an all-pro or anything. But that's a pretty good group of ingredients of athletic playmaker who can scramble, won't put the ball in harm's way, and 
every now and again he's going to hit a bomb that will flip the field and give you a really good you know a chunk play that changes the dynamic of the whole game those three things together are, are a pretty potent group of ingredients just take it to Mina you guys could talk Tyrod the whole time hmm. you're just not interested huh no I am That's, no you're right it's good it's good stuff I think the Giants are going to have trouble up front. No, it is interesting to see if Tyrod can can elevate everything else around the Giants. Um, they're looking for signs of hope to finish the season here. You know, some of the young guys playing well. You need John Michael Schmitz to play better at center. You know, you need some of those young guys to play oh, better. Man, John Michael Schmitz and Aaron Donald is going to be rough. Um, who do the Rams have in Week 18? They've got the 49ers. So they go to San Francisco. So they need this win. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're the team that usually loses to San Francisco on the 40, you know, in, in Shanahan. But, you know, they're Rams are tough now, man. They're, they're a legit team. The reason why, I mean, they're 8-7, and seven, but for whatever reason, like Kyron Williams is really fantastic at running back. Yeah. Like he, is, he has been fantastic. The, the healthy Rams team is really dangerous, man. So your, your statement is true. Um, so, yeah, I expect them to win and to cover, even in New York. Uh, Rams clinch a playoff berth if they win and Seattle loses, or if the Rams win and Sunday night football, Packers-Vikings is a tie. A tie. Yeah. So they're, they're sitting there watching Sunday night football, rooting for a tie, potentially. Just like everybody else. Anyway, I've just, uh, I, I don't think we emphasize this enough. Matthew Stafford has the lowest turnover-worthy play rate of his, of his, of his career mm. by a mile. I mean, he's usually not particularly good at that. No. It's not a a Stafford trait over his career he has I mean again my when, when Dak was sitting there with by far the highest grade of his career I kind of said hey that's not really in line with the rest of his career right that could come back down to earth I actually forgot that I had said that until he, he's come back down to earth the last couple of weeks so on one hand Stafford could be do a five turnover worthy play game at any given point but this is impressive how well he's taking care of the ball he's got nine turnover worthy plays and nine interceptions meaning you know there's some probably some unlucky interceptions in there um so yeah it's been an excellent season for Stafford especially given all of the circumstances with the Rams yeah and I think the Rams offensive line deserves quite a bit of credit as well I mean that is that is a group that on paper looked awful and at the beginning of the year was awful and they've come together over the course of the season with players that you would not say like if you were listing the, the starting five you would be like that that's off that's a problem that's going to be an issue like Alaric Jackson has been you know left tackle for most of the year you'd be like there's no way that can't work Matthew Stafford back there that's gonna that he's no and it has it's worked pretty well like Coleman Shelton like they've been getting by with a bunch of guys that don't look like it should be functioning but it has been that's the MVP case basically not but I'm just saying like that's what's been made the Rams so fun is that like it on paper shouldn't work and they've they've turned that into a very good offense a good enough defense and yeah they could be dangerous i think the rams stay hot and cover this what do you think yeah five and a half same at new york all right let's go falcons bears you have two minutes on this one <laughs> i mean we just we gotta we gotta we gotta do this it's the uh, bears favored by three in chicago it's the justin fields audition the of falcons the, audition. the one team that makes sense for him to still be a starting quarterback next year now he gets to show them here's what you could have yeah huh? yeah huh? It's going to be an interesting offseason, of course. Uh, guys like Justin Fields, you know, could be on the market at quarterback. We know Russell Wilson has now been benched and could yeah. be. There was a report out there that, that 
the Bears can still get a first-round pick back for Justin Fields. Like, the, the takes on him are all over the place. It's, it's really fascinating, actually. Like, the Rorsarch test that, that Justin Fields is to people. Like, yeah. you're going you're gonna to see all kinds of different things from him. There, there is this element where, like, going back to the Giants quickly, it is fair to say, like, if you looked at Daniel Jones five years as a starter – you can never look back and be like, well, yeah, at least he had a good supporting cast these two or three years. Like, there's literally zero. Yeah, he's never had the, the platform for success. Yeah. And you could, like, if you're making the Fields case, yeah, he has DJ Moore this year, but you would never look back and say, like, the offensive line's been pretty good the last couple of years, despite the narrative, but it's not great. Never had a great group of playmakers. Like, if you want to make the Fields case, you would probably do it through that lens, right? Explosive playmaker who's never had an above-average situation. It's been average at best, mm -hmm. and it's been below average for most of the time. That's where you're landing there. Um, I'd still like to see more from Fields over these last couple of weeks. I don't think they get a first-rounder for him. There's there's all these other first-round quarterbacks who if might not be as dynamic as Fields, but all these other first-round fringe-caliber quarterbacks who are going to be on first-year contract, like first contracts, right? He's got to get paid within two years here. If they can, by the way, they should make that deal happen immediately. Like, oh my gosh! I mean, instantly. If, like, if the Bears could have their pick of yeah. Drake May and Caleb Williams, which and might, get a first round pick back, and then getting have rid of the guy you're yeah. getting rid of, like two other picks, couldn't be better than that. If they could get their quarterback of choice at the top, plus another top seven or eight pick, plus another first rounder, wherever, even if it's thirty two, right? Take it. Not that the Super Bowl team is going to trade for Fields, but yeah, you absolutely take that. I don't see it happening. Um, Falcons still have a. Technically, the Bears are still alive in the playoff picture. I don't know how, <laughs> but I know we didn't talk about them yesterday as eliminated. So technically, That's true, yeah. things can happen. Um, the Falcons do have a path to win. I think every NFC South team has to lose somehow, even if they're playing each other. Right. And uh, the Falcons have to win out. Um, I think if the I think I mean, if they're the Saints, they're rooting for the Saints. Like, if the Bucks lose both and the Falcons win this week and then beat the Saints next week. Yeah, they're only a game back, but they don't have tiebreakers, so they need they yeah. need it both. They need two games swinging the other way. They're rooting for the Saints this week and they need the Bucks to lose to the Panthers next week while winning these next two games. Yes. And again, the Falcons, they're a tough they're a tough one to peg because I've been so impressed. I like I've I feel like I've said way more positive things about the Falcons than negative this year because I've I've loved how their free agents have played. I love how their defense has played. Number one run defense grade in the NFL this year. Um, love their pass catchers and their running backs. It really come down. It comes down to like Desmond Ritter's had some of the most ridiculous turnovers. Yeah, and Taylor Haneke played a relatively clean game last week, and they looked like a good team. That's the thing. They they the standard of quarterbacking play for them is so low, and yet they still fail to meet it. All they need to do is for the quarterback to just get out of the way and not lose the game for them, and they they do a good job. Taylor Heineke had that game. No turnovers yes, last week against the Colts, and they win comfortably because they lent on their playmakers. Bijan Robinson uh, had a really good game. Tyler Algier, um, like they lent on their playmakers, and they won. Like if your quarterback doesn't screw it up, they win. But whether it's been Heineke or Ritter this season, almost every single game, the quarterback has found a way to cause problems. Yeah. That's all I got. Okay. This game. No, I think Chicago wants to run the ball. They've had some success in recent weeks. Atlanta, like I said earlier, best run defense grade in the NFL this year. They've done a great job. Like last week against the Colts, when Atlanta wants to crack down against the run, they add extra yeah. men to the box, and they, they, they're they sound up front. 
Their defense against Fields will be interesting. Like it doesn't sound like Gardner Minshew is a good is a good sort of preparation for Justin Fields, but we've said all year they've been running kind of the Anthony Richardson playbook with Minshew, you know? They run a lot of similar things to what Chicago does in terms of the run game and involving the quarterback and keeping him in there in terms of an extra man that you need to account for in the run game. So in a weird way, I think playing the Colts was actually pretty good preparation for Justin Fields. Now, obviously, it changes having Minshew versus Fields. I mean, you're talking about like half a second in the 40 time. <laughs> different. So it's a different dynamic there with that quarterback. But the, at least like the, the bare bones, the concepts are similar. And they've already dealt with that a week ago. Um, just to wrap this up, too, the reason why there are some people that are still extremely high on fields is last week he ran for 97 yards. And yeah. that ha- that can happen at any given time. Designed run game and scrambles. I mean, I'm, I still believe that, right? Like, I still believe that there's more in fields, right? Because I've seen him throw the ball accurately before, more accurately than he's been the last couple of years. He does have a pretty good deep ball, and he has that big playability. Um, I think in the – I don't know what that right environment is, but the right environment, the right play calling, the right everything, you could have extremely high-end seasons from Justin Fields. To me, it might be like a lesser version of Cam Newton for me, where it, uh, people would have to understand all my Cam Newton takes. I think Cam Newton was like a, a above-average NFL quarterback with the ability to put one MVP caliber season together. I feel like Fields might, eh, forget MVP caliber, but like maybe a really high-end season could be in the cards for Justin Fields with the right environment, with the right everything. Yeah, I mean, he he has taken steps in the right direction, even as a passer. It's just I don't know if he's taken them quickly enough and they need to keep going. Like that, he, The problem he's running into right now is that he might not have shown enough to keep to, to be given the opportunity to keep developing. Like he's reaching this crossroads now where he's going to probably be let go by the Bears this offseason – and if he doesn't find another team that's willing to jump on that freight train and say, yeah, we can, we see what we like. We got two or three more years of this. Then how does he keep getting better? That's his issue. It was like he's, he, might, he might be running out of road to show that he can still get better. All right, man. Bears by three in Chicago. Hmm. I'm going to go Atlanta. Yeah, I'm going to take Atlanta as well. I don't love it. But I'm buying into Atlanta and Taylor Heineke. All right, San Francisco 49ers at the Washington Commanders. Niners favored by 12 and a half at Washington, and Jacoby Brissett making his starting debut for Washington. Yeah, the uh, the Sam Howell thing is done, uh, unfortunately for him. Fortunately for Washington, I think Brissett does give them a better opportunity to win at this point uh, based off how Howell's been playing. Just a bounce-back game, I think, for San Francisco. Like, their offense is going to remind you that it's it's stupidly good. You're probably not going to slow it down. Certainly not Washington, who haven't shown the capacity to do much of that this season. I would imagine the 49ers look very much like the 49ers again. And as much as Brissett has been better than Sam Howell, I don't know that he's going to have a ton of joy against what is a very good 49ers defense. Commanders have the second-worst EPA per play allowed in the NFL. You feel that every week. There's... Busted coverages on the back end. The guys are running wide open. Um, the only team worse is the Cardinals. Just a few weeks ago, we had the Niners putting up like 500 yards on the Cardinals on 35 plays or something ridiculous. I mean, it was, you know, it was like 10 yards per play just a few weeks ago. I know it's in Washington. Weather always could be an issue, you know, out there. 37 and overcast. Overcast. Um, so a lot of clouds. I think the Niners are going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. The 
the Washington defense, they're one of the few teams that like fired the coordinator, uh, you know, presiding over a terrible unit and got no bump. So it's a deep seated problem, whatever it is there in Washington. Like it, I think Del Rio was certainly part of the problem. Um, but evidently he wasn't the source of the problem, or at least the, the getting rid of, he wasn't the only problem. Getting rid of him didn't fix it. So it's a bad defense and it's probably staying bad until the off season when they can get, you know, new coaching in and go in a different direction. Um, any concerns coming from San Francisco Monday night? I mean, they just None. ran into a, a Ravens team with a good defense, right? Yes, and I don't even know how – we've said this coming out of the, the week. I don't even know how much of it was the good defense and how much of it was just freaky plays that all went against them in the space of a few minutes. Come like, on, give the Ravens proper credit. I'm giving – like, they played well and they took advantage of those plays, but we, we went through them all, like the, the turnovers. How – I've literally – I don't think I've ever seen – a blitzing corner bat the ball to another blitzing corner on the other side for an interception. I don't think I have ever seen that happen in decades of football. So you can't not put that down to a certain degree of luck, right? Because it's literally never happened before, or at least hasn't happened in decades. So they they got they ran into a very good pass defense. We talked all season long, Baltimore record setting, blah, blah, blah. They also had a the bounce of the ball never went their way in that game. So Either one of those two things doesn't happen. They are immediately much better. Both of them doesn't happen, which this week against Washington, you would imagine that's the case. Then they're way better, and they go back to being the 49ers. Um, 12 and a half. I mean, the, the way that Washington potentially covers this or you know, pulls the upset is Brissett does look as good as he did in his relief outings, right? He does completely change the dynamic of this offense. Brissett's a good knock. He's a good backup. He's not a great starter. I think we've seen that a lot over the last couple of years. He is. Um, he was very good last year with the Browns. Just couldn't finish some games. But I could see the. I could see Brissett maybe helping to keep the Commanders in this one. I just don't see how they stop San Francisco's offense. So twelve and a half is a lot of points. Still like the Niners. Where are you going with this one? Niners. Yeah, I'll take them as well. Bouncing back from Monday night against the Ravens. It's now thirteen, by the way. Is it? We'll change it. Now I'll take Washington. I'm still with the 49ers. Okay. Our next partner, it's AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every single day here on the PFF NFL podcast. Love AG1. Love kicking off my day with AG1 because I get my, uh, get my coffee, get my AG1, get all my nutrients into the system right away. Makes me feel great. Makes me feel great in the morning. Unstoppable. Ready to take things on. Gives me the clarity, the focus, everything I need um, you know, to go uh, analyze football and do what I do. Um, it's that health that, uh, that I need in my life. I don't eat enough vegetables. I don't have enough nutrients coming from my regular diet. So AG1 is great to supplement my regular diet. Also love the great athletes. We have, we have something in common with them as well because they like to drink AG1. They like taking care of their bodies. They drink their AG1 and I'm a huge fan of uh, matching what they're doing because with every daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with those 75 high quality ingredients that give me the key daily nutrients to, to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every day. That's the key. It's for everybody. AG1, everybody here associated with the PFF NFL podcast. Also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the high quality sourced ingredients, a win win for all of us. It's a comprehensive solution. If that's what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free 
AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. You go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. All right, where are we here? Got to start cooking. Las Vegas Raiders at the Indianapolis Colts. Colts favored by three and a half here. Yeah, this is a line that jumped out to me is slightly strange, no? Um, I think it depends. I mean, look, the Raiders are playing excellent the last couple weeks. Mm-hmm. How much of that is depend, uh, has been dependent on turnovers? So we talk a lot about offense being the more consistent thing. The Raiders literally just won a football game against the Super Bowl champions without completing a pass after the first quarter. Mm-hmm. So, and that happened because, you know, Kansas City botched a handoff. That's an unforced error by the Raiders. And then they had a pick six. Forced error, but, you know, a bad error by the Chiefs as well. That's how they won. Um, I know they dominated the Chargers a couple weeks ago. And, but, again, it was a lot of turnovers. Um, so that's the key. And they're going to Indy. And, you know, Colts are having a pretty good season. They're coming off a really disappointing effort last week against the Falcons. But uh, Colts playing for a playoff spot here. And I guess, I think technically the Raiders, if they win out and the Chiefs lose out against the Bengals and the Chargers, if that happened... The Raiders would get the AFC West title. Just rooting for that. That's some fun chaos. You rooting for that chaos? That would be funny. Like if the Chiefs just objectively funny, legitimately imploded. Yeah, I uh, I don't see that happening. No, it seems unlikely, but still, it would be pretty hilarious. So, what do you think in this one? Well, as I say, I I think that's a slightly strange line. I mean, I think the Raiders have shown the last few weeks. Okay, yes, they. They relied on turnovers. They didn't do a whole lot in the passing game. That being said, I think there were plays to have been made. I mean, Devontae Adams dropped passes that were thrown well by Aiden O'Connell against the Chiefs. Now, I think the Chiefs did a very good job in terms of physical coverage and, you know, matching up with Devontae Adams one-on-one. But there were passes there that, like, you would say nine times out of ten, Devontae Adams is coming down with that. Like, it was a, a classic... Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams' back shoulder throw, even in tight coverage, that he's been making those plays for the last, you know, for his entire career. And he didn't make them against Kansas City. So I would say there are throws that would normally be made, and the Colts are not as good as Kansas City on defense. So I feel like the Raiders can still have success on offense, and their defense has been pretty good, even without the turnovers. I see the chat saying Max Crosby's going to eat for the Raiders, and um, it's in my notes. That you got to keep an eye on Max Crosby now. Against your friend? No, Braden Smith, I think, is going to be back. According oh. to our depth chart, he's not on the injury report. Braden Smith, the Colts' right tackle, he's been banged up in and out for much of the season. Very good right tackle overall. Had it been Blake Freeland, though, mm. um, who's just, you know, two years away, you know, he's just not ready. That would be an absolute disaster. The Colts have two pretty good tackles Bernard Ryman and Braden, tackle, uh, Braden Smith when healthy. That will be a good matchup, right? Because when you. When you look at the Chiefs last week and their offense against the Raiders, you know, the story is very Chiefs-centric, and rightfully so, right? Patrick Mahomes, the most recognizable NFL player besides maybe Travis Kelsey now. Uh, <laughs> Mahomes has the worst game of his career, and there was so many ways to break that down. But I think the bottom line for Mahomes and the Chiefs is Mahomes was, like, looking at the rush, man. Like he was worried about where Max Crosby and Malcolm Coons were every single play for the Raiders. And, again, I want to give the Raiders' defense so much credit. I wasn't expecting that. It looked like only Max Crosby and a few guys who have played good ball at various points in their career on this defense. Koontz has stepped up. 
Crosby's a baller. They're moving him around a little bit more. Yes. They're stunting him a bunch. Teams are look like they have they have to worry about Crosby and Koontz now. And that has been the key for this Raiders defense. They're working downhill, they're tackling, but it starts up front with those two edges. I was literally looking that up. Um, previously, Max Crosby had been one of those players that only played on the left side of the defensive line, never moved, always lined up that one spot. This year, he is moving around a lot more because I, I saw this cutup of like plays where he's chasing down Patrick Mahomes and it jumped out how many of them came from the other side of the line. Yeah. Um, and that is happening a lot more. It's getting close to like, uh, what, 20% of his snaps are now coming from the other side of the line. So. Did he do that against the Chargers? Because last week, they have, they have Wanye Morris, third-round rookie for the Chiefs. And on paper, it's like, yeah, we want Max Crosby against him more often. Yeah. Um, Chargers, maybe not as much. But no, he didn't do it almost at all against the Chargers. So that, but that's interesting, right, is that the Raiders are, are looking. And uh, the Colts don't really have holes. Again, I don't know how healthy Braden Smith is, but um, the Colts have a good offensive line and probably the best that the Raiders have seen in a few weeks here um so we'll see if they can keep that up but yeah it is interesting that they're willing to attack those matchups here another interesting thing is that it's it's not necessarily by who's out there I mean he's a couple of games where he's barely done it at all one of them was the Chargers where it does make sense right they have a much stronger left tackle than they have a right tackle but the the previous game where he hadn't done it at all was the first time they played the Chiefs so it's not necessarily now the tackle is different from that game, right? Donovan Smith was still the left tackle at that point. The first game around? Yeah, yeah, I think he probably was. So, but Donovan Smith, you would still say, is a potential weakness relative to the offensive line, uh, even not necessarily as much as uh, Wanya Morris, but certainly something that you could attack and you wouldn't deliberately stay away from the way you might with Rashawn Slater. But the point is, they are moving him around a lot more than they've done previous years, and that will only help his production. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a sneaky, fun matchup here, Sam. Um, I know the chat also mentions that uh, Garner Minshew is going to find Jack Jones, keep that pick-six streak alive. Minshew's been a little bit better at taking care of the ball, but if you look at the whole season, ton of turnover-worthy plays from Minshew. Uh, Michael Pittman still in concussion protocol after that big hit that he took from uh, DeMonte Casey on that Saturday game a couple weeks ago. Don't know if Pittman will be back for this game. The offense did not look crisp last week without him, and I think that's – it's an underrated aspect of what the Colts have done when they were putting wins together. And, you know, they're in this position where they're tied atop the AFC South record-wise. Pittman's had a lot of games where he's been the top option, the option, and the offense just um, couldn't do much last week without him. No, it's, it's a rough-looking receiving core when he's not out there. Um, it's one of those ones that doesn't look great even when he is out there, but when he's not, it's, it's ugly-looking. Passer rating when targeting Jack Jones this season. Uh, Jack Jones, the Patriot? 136.6 Jack Jones the Raider 31.5 and that doesn't you know you don't get a bump for scoring on the the interception yeah. and then EPA is through the roof right exactly interestingly that means when you add those two together or average them out he ends up with 67.2 which is almost exactly what it was a year ago when it was 63.1 so it's like Jack Jones has ended up being the same player it's just it's gone from you know awful with the Patriots to amazing with the Raiders well, Antonio Pierce and Patrick Graham are getting Jack Jones to the Hall of Fame if he keeps this up. It's the next Deron Bland here. Can he catch Deron Bland? As long as he's comfortable being second fiddle to uh, to that linebacker's name I can't even remember anymore. The right. guy they're going to build a defense around. Oh, Robert Spillane. There you go, Spillane. Yeah. As long um, as all right. comfortable playing second fiddle to Robert Spillane in the defense. Build around he, he can go to the Hall of Fame. All right, Vegas uh, getting three and a half. Colts favored by three and a half here. Where are you going with this one? Sounds yeah. like I know. Yeah, Vegas. 
I'll also take the Raiders. I'll buy into their little hype. And I'm also secretly rooting for the chaos that you mentioned. That would be – no, not rooting for anything. Of course but, you uh, are. You're if rooting the Chiefs, for it. If the Chiefs did collapse somehow and the Raiders won out and won the division, that would be – that would be kind of funny. Cincinnati and Los Angeles, the Chargers, the division game. It's, it could happen. I'll tell you what else is going to be a fun one. I, I'm so mad that these are all in the 1 o'clock window. I'm mad at you, NFL. I cannot keep my eyes on all of this at the same time. Tennessee Titans at the Houston Texans. It does feel – why not make it more of an even split? Again, a couple times a year, they they really try to highlight that 4 o'clock game and give it – But there is no 4 o'clock game to highlight now. It, it's Bengals-Chiefs, and they just they just haven't pivoted to its Browning. They're just going to pretend Burrow. that it's still the same game? Yeah. It, it, that they're, they just haven't pivoted. They could have thrown two or three of these games into the 4 o'clock window. Yeah, make it a more even split so that you can They actually... will in Week 18. In Week 18, which, again, I, I'm not – not participating in um it'll be like seven and seven in the one o'clock and the four o'clock when they always split those up yeah that's what it should look like more often yeah i could i could deal with that uh reset here tennessee titans at the houston texans texans favored by four and a half uh will levis and cj stroud should both be back both the rookies back which gives us levis stroud one uh, their first matchup yeah which is interesting because right. that's how or is it is it two Shoot. No, they didn't play the first time, did they? Wasn't this one of Levis's first games? Oh, no. Ah, oh, dude. I'm there just, was the... Somebody fact-checked me. I think it actually was. No, because Stroud wasn't. Was that the game he got hurt in? This is a disaster. Yeah, this is bad. This is bad. bad play. Play. No, it was Case Keenum was the first time. We're good. We're good. Oh, that was just two weeks ago? Yeah, Levis-Stroud won. Oh, they just played two weeks ago. That's right. Mm-hmm. That was dumb. But it was the... The throwback game. Yeah, that was the uh, the overtime game. Man, I can't stand when division teams. I can't stand when they play two times in three weeks. So Levis Stroud won. Let's see. Levis Stroud won. Mm. Here we go. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be amazing. I Which is good because I had <laughs> I had Levis above Stroud in my draft ranking. Oh, this will so far has looked great. What are you rooting for? Justification. Yeah, yeah. I Just need to- one game ever <laughs> where Levis just balls out, outplays CJ Stroud, and I can at least have three hours of vindication before Stroud goes to the Hall of Fame and Levis may or may not keep the starting job long term. Uh, obviously, both Levis and Stroud have given a lot of uh, hope for both teams. Stroud, mm. even more so than Levis. I mean, right. every quarterback in the top 15 has give, had MVP hype at some point, but Stroud was getting that, right? He was elevating his team, leading yeah. comebacks. The last time we saw him, however, though, was the Jets game. It was a weather game. It was a tough Jets defense, but it was a disaster for Stroud for that offense. Um, so that's the last thing we saw from Stroud. I think that's that hurts his overall production and numbers. And the game of four wasn't great either. Yeah. So, again, um, even Keel, PFF NFL podcast, we all admit, I mean, Stroud's been fantastic this mm-hmm. year. But we always still want to see more data, more information. And, again, I, I was saying, look – Going back to Mahomes again, when Mahomes struggles, when Aaron Rodgers went through his struggles, there were these times when he just wouldn't play within structure and would only want to play outside of structure. And I was seeing hints of that from Stroud earlier this year. When his game is playing within structure, going through his reads, throwing pinpoint passes with great footwork, that is Stroud's game. And he slightly got out of that in a few games. And it still worked. He was outstanding outside the pocket. Like, that's not his game, but he was doing it well. And I was just saying, like, just don't lean on that too much, CJ. And then he did end up having his la- his worst couple games after that. That's all. Just something to keep an eye on with Stroud. I want to see him 
run the offense and do what he does well, which is throw the ball accurately and on time and don't try to create too much unless it's there, unless you have to. And when he has to, again, he's been pretty good at it. So that's what I'm watching for here with Stroud coming back. Yeah, I mean, it's a big game for them because Houston is now sitting there at number eight. You know, they're, they're, they're the first team on the outside looking in from the AFC point of view, even though they're eight and seven. Um, the Colts, though, are the team directly above them. Uh, like, they have a shot to get in still, but they need they need some help and they need to win games first and foremost. So Stroud coming back, obviously it's a different dynamic than it was with Case Keenum in their quarterback. Uh, but a couple of the last things we've seen from Stroud haven't been amazing. They are still they not only did Stroud go down, but they've been getting banged up in terms of the receiving core as well. Obviously, Tank Dell with his broken leg is a difference from earlier in the season, but generally that group is, has been not healthy, whereas it was earlier in the year. Um, like it's a big game for them. Tennessee is a defense that can cause some issues. It's not you know, the Titans obviously haven't been good this year, but it's a test at least of whether he's back, whether he's ready to go, and then the other side. You know, Houston's defense is really good as well. We were trying to give so much credit to um, the Shanahan scheme, to our friend Bobby, to everybody about the, um, the their ability not just to elevate quarterbacks systematically, but the offensive line. Yeah. And then you have a game like last week where, again, I mentioned Charlie Heck had like 10-plus pressures allowed. Charlie Heck playing right tackle again this week. It's a – they may have hit too many injuries yeah. up front. Um, I think Tunsil's banged up. I mean, it's just not. I mean, I think there's always a limit to that stuff. You know, you can help and you can make things look better schematically. But if you have an absolute total liability at one of your key offensive line positions. This Tunsil, no, Tunsil's fine. It's still, you're not going to be able to overcome that with scheme necessarily. Um, both edges, Will Anderson hasn't played the last couple weeks. Jonathan Grenard, um, both of those guys are questionable with ankles and did not participate in practice yesterday. Um and I think injuries are starting to catch up to Houston. Yeah. Um, with Tennessee, again, they don't have a great offensive line, but if the Texans don't have their edge rushers to take advantage of it, um, I think Stroud, even without Tank Dell, though, there will be plays to be made on the outside against mm -hmm. these Tennessee corners. So that's something to keep an eye on. And you never know what you're going to get from Will Levis. He's had a couple good games before the injury. Always has that big playability. He's always going to try to leap over somebody or drop his shoulder <laughs> into somebody. I mean, again, must watch, must see TV with Will Levis. Yeah, I mean, also, I wonder how, I wonder how uh, unencumbered he's going to be coming off that ankle injury. I mean, we've been in this weird season where he won't change. He won't change. No, you don't think. I mean, well, he might not change in terms. He's still going to launch his shoulder into people, but like how spry is he going to be on that busted ankle or are we oh, how spry yeah. yeah or are we in this world now where quarterbacks are just able to shoot it up get out there with tape and we're good you never know that they're injured like trevor lawrence came back from an ankle injury and the only evidence of it was some weird passes where like why did you throw the ball right to the safety there right um but you could you wouldn't have known like if you didn't know that the week before he had an injury that no. looked like he was done uh, if you if you hadn't seen that and you just saw Trevor Lawrence in that game, you wouldn't have highlighted. Hey, I think his ankles hurt. Mobility him. wise, no, so, not at all. You know, is that going to be the case for Levis, or is he going to be hobbling around the place and not quite a hundred percent physically? Um, either way, like the Levis thing to me, he's shown the flashes that everybody's been wanting to see from Bryce Young, and in a vaguely comparable situation in terms of awful offensive line, he's probably got some more weaponry in the past game, but. 
it's still not good. I mean, he's, he's working in a bad situation and he's made it work or at least shown the flashes to be able to make it work and outperformed Ryan Tannehill, you know, who's a, obviously a veteran quarterback. Like, Bryce Young has not outperformed Andy Dalton, whereas Will Levis has outperformed Ryan Tannehill in his situation. So I think from a Tennessee point of view, you have to be very encouraged by what you've seen from Will Levis. It's just now we need to actually repair this whole thing around him and see where he can go. All right, man. Houston favored by four and a half. I think it's going to be entertaining. I think the AFC South going forward is going to be very entertaining. Houston by four and a half. Titans. Levis. Oh, man. Doubling down on Levis. Give me Houston covering the four and a half. The, um, the most important playoff implications here is if Jacksonville wins and the Texans and Colts both lose, the Jags have the division. They'll have the tiebreakers and they'll have the division. So that's what, to keep it, that's what we're keeping an eye on for the AFC South. And then next week, I'm sure the scenarios will be out of this world. Um, the last game in the 1 o'clock window, Arizona Cardinals at the Philadelphia Eagles. little NFC East matchup here. Cardinals-Eagles. Eagles mm. favored by 10.5. The uh, Chicago Cardinals. Chicago Cardinals. Or wherever they were before they were the Chicago Cardinals. I love when the Cardinals play the NFC East during the season. All the throwbacks. Um, Eagles favored by 10.5 here. Um, Eagles finished the season. Giants-Cardinals-Giants in their games, right? So they went through that run. That lull, they beat the Giants last week. They should, they should win these last two. And um, if the if the Niners slip up, the Eagles have a chance at that number one seed still. The Racine Cardinals. That's where they were before Chicago. Is that in Illinois? I would assume Racine, so. Racine, Illinois. I would guess so. I doubt they've moved at that point. Sounds like Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Before that, they were the Morgan Athletic Club. <laughs> Football's evolved. Huh? Uh-huh. It's come a long way. It's grown. The Morgan Athletic Club now has a giant stadium dome in the desert with a, with a the, field that rolls out into the When into the, the NFL sun. did their top 100, they were, they, I think they grabbed five players from the Morgan Athletic Club in the top 100. Mm, Beady right. feathers. Gil Brandt, rest in peace, was like telling you all about all these guys. People got so mad at that. The idea that it might have been good players back in the 30s and 40s and whatever. Yeah, it should have been post-merger. Anyway, let's go. I want a post-merger top 100. That'd be way more fun Yeah, for everybody involved. Since the merger. Uh, I mean, the Cardinals are not very good. The Eagles are quite good. Therefore, they should win quite comfortably. I agree. The Eagles are the better bird. Better football bird. team. Um, Eagle I, would kick the crap out of a Cardinal in the fight. I mean, yeah, that's why it's 10.5. Right. Pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing I'll say here is the Eagles' offense. I, I just want to see them play well. I mean, I don't, I'm not rooting for it. I'm just saying you want to see – them play well into the playoffs um they have all the pieces they have all the answers i mentioned in the review show against the giants last week where Devontae smith was getting his and aj brown and dallas goddard that feels like the best version of the eagles offense it still exists it's still there um it was very inconsistent during their tough stretch of games when they were playing the niners and the bills and the cowboys twice and the whole deal um but that's what they're going to need come playoff time my description of the eagles being able to win in multiple ways they need to get back to that i do have concerns about philly's defense yeah getting into the playoffs their corners their back seven generally the inconsistent pass rush you know is the pass rush inconsistent because they're not killing teams like they were last year like what's the deal Um, they're still good but it's not the great eagles defensive line i think i forget who it was was it joe buck on the commentary for this last game against the giants that was sort of saying the problem the eagles are facing right now is that 
they could win by 50 in the next three games and we're still not going to know if any of the problems are solved because the two games are against the Giants and then this Cardinals game, right? They're supposed to win all those games. Right. They're supposed to win them relatively comfortably. So all of the all of the worries we had, oh, the offense isn't firing on all cylinders and the defense isn't as good as last year, you're not going to know if that's fixed because the competition, the, like the level, the bar just got set so low that you couldn't help but clear it. So completely agree. I, I think it's a very real concern. Like you would expect Philadelphia's offense to look like it did last week, which is much better. And, you know, have the capacity to have that drive whenever they need it or if they get into a hole. And you would expect the defense to look a bit better because it's Arizona and their Arizona's offense is, you know, it's talented. It can move the ball. It's feisty, but it's not great. So it's a game they should win by double digits, but it might not mean anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know that we learned a lot about the Eagles over the next couple of weeks. I agree. Um, we might not learn anything until they get into round two, potentially. Play Dallas, play San Francisco, play, you know, maybe round one if they get a Rams matchup or, you know, a tough one. Um, but, yeah, it's a take-care-of-business game. It's why it's a 10-plus point spread. Where are you going in this one? Philly by 10.5. Oh, <coughs> really quick for Arizona. I still believe Kyler Murray's playing for his future in Arizona maybe Arizona doesn't believe it I don't know but I still want to see see more from Kyler in these last couple of weeks okay <laughs> I just I needed to say something about the Cardinals oh I see and plus it's well, not a show if we don't say Dennis the Barbarian Gardeck the Barbarian he needs um, five sacks to reach ten right yeah uh, is it five four four in the last two weeks yeah so he needs two two this week alright so Jalen Hurts this week Stafford next week? No, uh, Niner. Oh, Purdy next week. Yeah, it's not. I mean, doesn't look great for the Barbarians' chances. You know, just get a four sack game. We just needs a, he needs one of those games where the 49ers run out of offensive linemen again, and he's going up against Colton yes. McKivitz, a left tackle, happen. and you know that could happen. Yeah, uh, Philly by ten and a half. Where are you going with this one? Eagles. I will also take the Eagles. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna look good these last few weeks, and then you know, see what happens getting into the playoffs. All right, into the 4 o'clock window. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Seattle Seahawks. It kicks off at 4.05. Seattle's favored by 3.5. A, a pair of 8-7. Eight and 8-7 and seven teams? What are they? What did I do here? The level of preparation that goes eight and seven. Now, I mean, it was, I, I knew it. It was in my head. And then I doubted myself for mm. a minute. I was like, wait, the Steelers are – do they have a winning record after all this? Yes, they do. Yep. Um, so, yeah, if Tomlin loses the last two games, he'll both lose that. Right. He needs to lose both of them to lose That record. special streak. Um, Seahawks coming off a magical couple weeks here. Drew Locke, game-winning touchdown against the Eagles. Geno Smith, game-winning touchdown against the Titans. Magical. That's the word. The question is, does the Rudolph magic still function now that Christmas is out of the way? What's well, magic no. versus magic? I'm just going to say that I think his is a Christmas-specific magic, and it no longer functions. We have uh, my friend Pony, Pittsburgh Media, the roller coaster ride that he's on. Yeah. Now that they're playing Seattle this week, Mason Rudolph in his 63 PFF grade, but he had a 96 yard touchdown or whatever, well, 86 yard touchdown. Yep. Uh, on a slant. Mm -hmm. um, why can't Mason Rudolph be the next Geno Smith? Why can't Mason Rudolph be the next Geno? Look, I was a Mason Rudolph believer coming out of college. Yeah. I thought Mason Rudolph was pretty good. Um, and, you know, I, as I was tweeting yesterday about force multipliers, I mean, sometimes the unquantifiable. Uh, is a factor and so is there some signal in the fact that the Steelers offense is the best it's looked in years with Mason Rudolph 
under center last well, week? The answer to the question is there is no reason he can't be the next Geno. It, it's just that it probably won't happen. Like, there's no reason the next guy, the next big arm, toolsy quarterback coming into the draft can't be the next Josh Allen. Like, why can't this guy be the guy that goes from a 45% passer to being one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL and is one of the most dynamic playmakers in the league? Why can't it be him? Well, there's no reason it can't be. It's just that, generally speaking, like one-of-a-kind historical outliers don't repeat again in a year or two later. So there's no reason that, that he can't be the next Geno Smith. It's just that he probably won't be because there won't be a next Geno Smith for a long time. I mean, who was the previous Geno Smith before Geno? Ryan Tannehill? Maybe, no, yeah. No, not as a backup. Rich Gannon? Right, like a Rich but those Gannon. guys did it differently. They were like... Middling starters. Or like Jim Plunkett. Or like you're going back a long time to find the previous Geno Smith. We don't have to spend the whole time just answering Pony. It's just, you know. But yeah. A couple months ago he was comparing Kenny Pickett to Joe Montana. So (laughs) I'm just just highlighting the roller coaster ride that is. It probably won't happen. And not only will it probably not happen, it probably won't even last this week. I suspect Mason Rudolph turns back into a pumpkin. Oh, wow. Right off the bat, huh? Yeah. Um, It was a Christmas miracle. And now it's not Christmas anymore. You think he's only got that? He's only got that for that game for uh, Christmas weekend. Yeah. All right, we're gonna run out of Rudolph puns here. Can't do it on New Year's Eve. You're saying doesn't no. work New Year's Eve. Nah. Um, I really want to see Devin Witherspoon and George Pickens play against each other. Yeah. Witherspoon's been banged up the last couple of weeks. He's he's questionable. Hip injury. Does he? Have, he's the hip pointer, right? Does he have the pointer? The pointer. He's got a hip. Um, Jordan Brooks also banged up for the. For the Seahawks at linebacker, um, Seattle sitting here with uh, the playoffs on the line. I mean, both teams with the playoffs on the line. A lot of implications. Let me find those. Um, what else are you looking for in this game? Let's see. Pittsburgh. Can they clinch anything? I don't think so. I want to know if that's. If they Ste- lose, they're getting Buffalo in, though, in various ways. Right. I want to know if that Steelers back seven can do what they did on Christmas again. Like, you looked at that group on paper, and you're like, this shouldn't, not only should it not function, it should be getting lit up. I mean, it is a – they were they had no safeties. They're playing Patrick Peterson at safety and a guy, you know, Eric Rowe, who they just basically signed off the street to come in because he's got experience playing safety in the NFL. Uh, their linebackers are guys they've signed off the couch. They, they brought back Miles Jack. And who this retired. Just, just signed Jalen Smith. <coughs> yeah. I mean, this would have is, been electric six years ago. <laughs> this is not a group that looks like it should be functioning at all. And yet it didn't just, like – keep its head above water in the last game it was good it made plays it actually excelled so that was one of those things that just made no sense you you look at that and say there's you can't have predicted this going into this game there's no way this group should be performing the way it's performing in this game is that a weird source of Mike Tomlin magic or was again that just one game and weird things can happen in one game it's tough to predict when the Mike Tomlin magic is going to happen but again as I said on the review show Back against the wall. It took them three weeks because they're back against was against the wall a couple different game times. Back against the wall, they they seem to step up. I mean, Alex Highsmith had a great game. T.J. Watt had a great game. Highsmith with a beautiful interception it, because the back seven was banged up. They've got you know they always have their outside backers dropping into coverage and everything, but they're getting you know great interceptions from Alex Highsmith. That's that's how they pulled it all together. It is going to be tough to do that again. The Steelers don't generally like to you know track with cornerbacks or anything um but this is another one of those matchups where remember when washington allowed uh 
Emmanuel Forbes to be one-on-one with DK Metcalf or AJ Brown rather and it's like why that's just malpractice like he's outweighed by 50 pounds and you have somebody on the defense for whom that isn't the case right you have a 200 plus pound corner on the other side why would you let that matchup happen uh well the Steelers on one side have Levi Wallace who's like 180 pounds and lightweight and generally gets you know handled by most people and on the other side, you have Joey Porter Jr., who is a 6'2", 195-pound corner. Again, like if you let Levi Wallace go against DK Metcalf, you deserve the punishment that comes your way. Um, one more thing looking ahead here. You mentioned the Steelers and the, the Tomlin record and everything. If the Ravens win and they clinch the number one seed, they could rest their starters next week against Pittsburgh. But would be a similar case to the Lions and the Vikings thing of you would be doing it against a division rival potentially helping them yeah Um, and on the other hand Seattle if they win and they're also rooting for that uh, Sunday night football tie to get in (laughs) will the win and a tie on Sunday night football between Packers Vikings they're in but Seattle has the Cardinals next week so Seattle uh, you know I mentioned um, the, the Eagles surviving their stretch Seattle survived their stretch pulled that game off against the Eagles and now they're on the cusp of making the playoffs here um geno smith playing really well when he's been healthy these last few weeks and making big plays in crunch time so i think i know where you're going but seattle favored by three and a half here at home seahawks uh i will i also we need a loss so that the last game of the season dictates whether tomlin has his record or not can't be wrapped up in week 17 i know and then the ravens have to decide do they play it out right give me pittsburgh that's another element what if they get to decide yeah like but then it's like do you want to let them win and then tomlin stays in the division do you actually want that if you're baltimore if he loses does he get fired then you're playing that game mm -hmm. 3d chess in the afc north i'll take the steelers to cover the three and a half on the road uh 425 chargers at the broncos broncos favored by three and a half russell wilson has been sat down benched by the Broncos, Jarrett Stidham making the start. It'll now be the second straight start that Jarrett Stidham is the replacement for the overpriced starter who is only sitting pretty much so that he doesn't get injured so that the team doesn't have to pay him more money. Jarrett Stidham, specialist. Hmm. He's now becoming that the Grim Reaper meme, you know, with the doors and the blood trail. Like, Jarrett, if your team signs Jarrett Stidham and you're a, you know, not necessarily secure veteran quarterback, get worried. I already... I already have Giants fans predicting uh, Stidham to the Giants next year and starting week 18, 17, right. whatever, for Daniel Jones yeah. or whatever. So uh, so that's what we have here. Um, there's all sorts of spin coming out. There's a football decision. It's uh, <laughs> you know, So Denver's not eliminated from playoff contention. Oh, that's what makes it really interesting. Right? We didn't talk about them yesterday on our elimination show, which you should go check out. They're not eliminated. And so Sean Payton, oh, we're just trying to win week 17 game here. That's all we're trying to do. Game gives us the best chance to win yeah uh oh we can't call him friend of the show anymore because we're rivals in our in our award-winning attempt to whisper his name so people don't hear it uh greg with two g's rosenthal greg tweeted that sean payton versus russell wilson in in a passive aggressive source off is going to be like prime brady manning (laughs) like that's what's (laughs) happening right now is both teams you know their people are in full action to just feed their side of the story to the media and there's plenty of media who are perfectly willing to just copy and paste those texts. And Sean, you know, in that 
in that source off. Mm. Sean was like trying to pull Russ's legs out from under him, stole his office. Yep. Right? I mean, how's Russ? You know, Russ was probably had it all wired and set up and he took his office away. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole PR infrastructure gone right there. He's yeah. chopped his PR legs out from under him. Yeah. Sean has the upper hand there. Yeah. Because he took the office. Sean presumably has his own office. You would think. Russ doesn't. He has a locker. What are you going to do from a locker? <laughs> Not much. It's tough. Um, it is an interesting thing, though, that like, so the reports were that this has been like percolating for a while. They basically, it sounds like they tried to blackmail him. They came to him in October and said, hey, we've basically decided at this point, you're not the guy. We're going to go in a different direction. And if you don't waive the injury clause in your contract that gives you 37 more million guarantees if you get hurt the rest of the year, we're going to have to sit you down because we don't want to risk that money, right? And that was questionable enough that the NFLPA and lawyers got involved. And I don't know if that's what dragged it out until December the 28th before they finally did it. But like this has been coming for a while, and yet it finally happens two weeks to go before the end of the season with the playoffs still there. Yeah, I mean, think about what was happening in October, right? The defense was one of the worst in NFL history. They were assume they were going to play the Chiefs two out of the next three weeks, and they were probably staring one and eight. Yeah, you know, down. And, and if they were one and eight, he would have been sat then, right? Just because they were like, well, this is a disaster. We have to get out from under this. And then they started winning games, right? Then they started. They beat Kansas City. They beat Buffalo. They started winning these football games, and they were in the mix. They were one game out of first place just two weeks ago. In the AFC West, and then uh, Christmas Eve was a was a disaster. Because um, that's the big difference between um, this and the Raiders situation, right? Is that the Raiders they basically sat him down as soon as they were eliminated last year. Yeah. Whereas Denver are still alive and they're sitting him down. I mean, they're mostly eliminated. I think if any other team wins in the AFC, they're probably out. <laughs> I haven't looked at it closely. I mean, Denver's the Raiders have an easier track at the AFC West, I think, than the Broncos at this point. Yes. Um, I believe. Again, I haven't looked at it closely. No, Denver are like the bottom of the... They're literally the last team that isn't technically eliminated in terms of chances. Yeah, so look, I get it from a business standpoint, but you're right. It is, it's interesting that they went at it earlier. Um, makes you read... I mean, look, that's what Russ signed up for, you know? I you do signed think... up for an injury clause. You have to understand when you negotiate for something, there are also... Your unintended consequences are real, right? Now, I know Russ is... Never going to think, well, man, I could suck in two years and they could sit me so I don't get my injury money. Um, but, like, he wasn't thinking about that. He's like, of course, this is what I want. It is fairly funny that they're going to get rid of him before the extension actually kicks in. Like, if they just left him on the contract they traded for, he he would have – we'll it's ending now. We'll spend more off-season time, I think, or whatever, other time talking about that. But that ended up being the biggest mistake for the Broncos. Like, I yeah. don't mind the aggressive move and giving up picks to go get a quarterback for and a I team do. that at that time was just treading water at QB. I don't mind it, but it was when they just yeah. out of goodwill extended him and added all that money. Yeah, Well, so goodwill. It came months after the trade, right? Like, it, they traded for him in March. They didn't sign the new deal till the start of August, I think. Um I do think, though, that it was kind of contingent on the deal. Like, Russ had a no-trade clause, right? So he dictated where he could go. Yeah. I do feel that there was some sort of, like, handshake involved of, I'm only Probably. coming here if you're extending me. And then it just took the months to work out the details, like crap like this, right? The injury clause, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think they could have just sort of – it would have been rough to be – to if that was the way it worked and they said, hey, Russ, we'll, we're going to extend you if you come here, he waves the no – trade clause they trade for him and then go ah, joking 
you're under contract for two years. That wouldn't have worked. Yeah, we'll have to revisit that. Um, remember at the time, Russ was in Seattle. He was going to the Dan Patrick show. You know, they have to build around me. And then Seattle's like, we'll build around you. We signed Gabe Jackson yeah. to play guard. So part of it was probably like, we got to have a happy Russ to get the best Russ. So we're going to you know, do well by him. Denver, you know, they're, uh, they're paying for it right now. So Jarrett Stidham's getting the start for Denver. Uh, both uh, Chargers are eliminated on the other side. They gave Buffalo a game last week in mm-hmm. Giff's first game as head coach. Yeah. Uh, Denver by three and a half. Where are you going with this one? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of this game with Jarrett Stidham, a quarterback. He looked pretty good for like a game when he came in late last year, but yeah. you know that's probably not. Easton Stick looked better last week, his second start. Mm. So could be a sneaky good game. <sighs> I have no implications. Yeah, God, I don't know what to make of this game. Backup quarterbacks everywhere, hurt people everywhere. Uh, Denver. I'll take Denver. Backup QB bump for Backup Denver. QB bump. I mean, if Stidham comes in and deals with Sean Payton, I can't wait to see what Payton wants to do at QB. That's going to be. Well, particularly with, you know, where they are, having given up what they've given up for not just uh, Russ, but for Sean Payton. Yeah. Uh, and now where they are in terms of having won enough games to, you know, torpedo draft so stock. Like, hey, Drew, stuff. Can, you, can you still throw? He said he couldn't. He has to throw left-handed to yeah, his kids. Yeah, he can't even pick his arm up yeah i mean he was he was still completing 70 percent of his passes doing that <laughs> lot, you know with the <laughs> being able to lift his arm above his shoulder <laughs> all right last game in the four o'clock window cincinnati bengals at the kansas city chiefs chiefs favored by seven um yeah chiefs sitting here at nine and six of course um worst patrick mahomes team that we've seen and uh, the worst game for mahomes the other day a lot of things not going well for that kansas city offense but again the defense has played really well and the thing that could get the Chiefs' offense right here, Bengals' defense, Chargers' defense, to finish the season. Um, they do play two of, the, uh, bottom, two, two of the bottom five teams in EPA per play allowed, two of the worst defenses, pass defenses in the NFL. Maybe this is the thing that gets Kansas City back on track heading into the playoffs. Yeah, so you got two elements of this game, right? Does Jake Browning go back to the player he was where he was looking really good for a few weeks? Um, or is he the player he was against Pittsburgh two weeks uh, in either end of this this run of his? Kansas City is a really good defense. Um, like that, That's one thing that isn't being talked about enough this season, I think, because all the focus is on the struggles and the offense and why they can't get out of their own way and can't stop making mistakes and is Taylor Swift a curse? Their defense is awesome this year. It really is good. And so it's a really tough challenge for Jake Browning to try and bounce back against. And then obviously the other side of the ball, it's been the same story all season long with Kansas City. The only new element to it is, for the first time, really, Mahomes added to the problems. Like all season long, it's been Mahomes trying his best to drag mistake-ridden offensive playmakers to wins. And then last week he started making mistakes as well. Now, was that just one game where everyone has them? Every single player has a game where they stink randomly. Was that his this year? Or has something snapped and he's now just been... Dra- like they've, They have dragged Mahomes down to the level they've been at all season long, and he's now part of the problem as well. I'm still of the belief with the elite, elite quarterbacks, and I really th- I think there's been five over the last 20 years and I always cite them you know Brady Manning Rogers Breeze and Mahomes the guys that are at a different level 
and I and I honestly don't think there's a strategy to stop those guys. Like I don't think there's a specific game plan where you say this will attack their weaknesses. We got them. I think it's almost always self-inflicted, or there's other stuff, or or it's the team is falling apart around them, and it's and it's making them play differently, right? So with Rodgers, I said a couple hours ago on the show, there were points where Rodgers was less productive in his career because he wasn't playing within structure for whatever reason. wasn't trusting the offense, his receivers, was just was just in a slump. Right, Brady had down years when the receiving talent wasn't as good. Um, Mahomes, it feels like, I don't think there's a strategy to stop him necessarily. But now that you have maybe backup left tackle, he's seeing the rush a little bit more, and weeks of frustration built up to the point where he's not playing within structure. And it, it's not the only time where he's had a, a slump in his career, like a mini slump production-wise. 2021 the whole too high narrative and they're taking away the deep ball and I'm not playing patient. We were saying a lot of the same stuff, right? He's trying to break the pocket too much. He's trying to play outside of structure. He's not taking the easy stuff when it's there. And then they adjusted. They did well with that last year. And now he's back in this, like, he's not playing within structure. It's because it's not like they don't have open receivers. They have open receivers. They always scheme up open receivers in Kansas City. That's always there. This year, they're not catching the ball effectively when they're open or at key times in the game. So all that stuff was adding up. And so, I, again, I think I think Mahomes will break out of it at some point. I think the offense will break out of it. I, just, I don't know if it's this year. Right. But I do think the biggest thing is, like, this offseason, Kansas City is attacking the receiver room with, you know, vigor. They're going to do the going, same thing they did with the offensive line yes. at receiver this time. Now, they're probably a little bit more uh, hamstrung by – cap and Mahomes contracts than they were two years ago right. doing that but that's what the result's going to be so I think they'll get out of it I think Mahomes will get out of it but you know when you talk about great he's a great player greatness is not about being the best at every single point in every single checkpoint in your career it's always about ebbs and flows and adjusting and bouncing back and that's where we are with Kansas City right now I think they'll bounce back and I think they'll do it against a, a bad Kansas City defense um, and what you said Kansas City's defense, they deserve a ton of credit. Um, they haven't been great against the run, and I do think that is the one place where you can get them. And if the Bengals get a lead, you know, Kansas City hasn't made their special comebacks, in, in part because Mahomes and the offense, but also because the defense has not stopped opposing running games when they've needed to, including last week. Yeah, I think everything that's happening to, to Mahomes this season with the Chiefs' offensive playmakers letting him down, I think this is all playing into – the area of his game that I think is the, has been the weakest for his NFL career. Like, if there has been a game plan against Mahomes, it has been the general trend of, you know, too high, force him to be patient. He's not as patient as, like, one of Tom Brady's greatest strengths was always patience. That guy would be perfectly happy to throw the ball 60 times for five yards a pop if that was the most effective way of winning the game. And he never got impatient doing that, which is remarkable because almost every other quarterback snaps. They reach a point where they get so frustrated doing that, they take a shot and the shot is what kills you because you make a mistake. And even if you don't, even if it's not a turnover, you just don't complete the pass. And now you're behind the chains and you can't, you, the drive sputters out. Brady and Manning actually were incredibly patient with those types of games. Mahomes is good at it, but I don't think he's as patient. And he clearly gets frustrated when he can't make those big plays. And he's done a good job, I think, of modifying that element of his behavior and his, his game in recent years because he's had to. 
But now I think it's making it even more frustrating because he's not as efficient doing it as, as he used to be. So now he knows that if they're going to make a mistake, if somebody drops a ball, if somebody, you know, if there's an error in there somewhere, if there's a holding call, I think he's acutely aware now of how much of a problem that is to the offense. So it makes him want to push a bit more and force things and make more mistakes than he used to. And the whole thing is sort of spiraling. So I think it's an issue. And you're right. It might not resolve itself this year. Um, the other element of this game I think that's fun to watch is both pass rushes. Trey Hendrickson going up against the, the left side of that, that Kansas City offensive line. Wanye. Yeah, that, that feels like a problem. But equally, the same thing I think is true on the other side. You go to Kansas City's defense, um, they have pass rushes that can cause problems. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I think even just back to the Chiefs' offense again, too, Lou Anarumo and the Bengals' defense, and they've had some success over the last few years. Of course, Joe Burrow was the quarterback. It coincided with that. But Anarumo's done a really nice job mixing things up schematically against Mahomes and the Chiefs. So even though I don't think they have the, the horses in the last couple um, – you know, this year versus a couple last couple of years, that's going to be an interesting matchup. I also wonder how much like Kansas City and Andy Reid they never like to rely on the run. I just I wonder how much they just take that pressure off Mahomes and and just try to run the ball a little bit more and and actually lean on that more than they ever had. One last thing I'll add too, and I saw a graphic on this, but I knew it kind of mentally. Every team the Chiefs have played the last few weeks have had extra rest coming in. They had the Raiders coming off of a Thursday night game, so they had extra couple days. They had the Patriots coming off a Thursday night game, had an extra couple days. I think they had the Bills off a bye. Uh, this is the first time that's actually back to somewhat normal. Bengals have an extra day because they played on Saturday, and the um, the Chiefs played on Monday, so I guess it's still it's still in effect this week. But just something to keep an eye on for this week. Um, I do wonder if Browning can get back to form. Right, he's been great against non-Steelers teams. So if he can get back to form, I think Cincinnati can make this a game. But I think I'm going Chiefs here to cover the seven and bounce back from Christmas disaster. I'm gonna. I think the Chiefs will be better, but I'm gonna go with the Bengals keeping it within seven. All right. I think I have about five minutes before I have to sprint out of here. Nice. Sunday night football: Green Bay Packers at the Minnesota Vikings. <clears throat> New Year's Eve night: Packers Vikings. Vikings favored by two against the pack yep both seven and eight teams um the vikings kevin o'connell has basically said he has no earthly idea who is going to quarterback the team at this point and i think sometimes teams say that you know because they think there's a competitive advantage of not you know not telling the opposition who to prepare for i think kevin o'connell genuinely doesn't know who he wants to start like he's now frustrated with all of his quarterbacks he had josh dobbs who looked like he was a guy briefly and then couldn't move the ball at all and then he has Nick Mullins, who can move the ball perfectly easily between turnover-worthy plays, which happen every other drive. So now he's looking at this yeah. and going, I don't know what to do. I've got one guy that can't function, and I've got another guy who can't go get out of his own way for more than seven straight plays. And on, in the middle, I've got a rookie who had like one nice drive and then got concussed. So I don't know what to do with that. I, I think there's a pretty good chance that's true. And I don't even know what the right option is for them. I do wonder if this is a better like, – Mullins moved the ball so well where, again, it's like if you just don't have seven turnover-worthy plays or in the Cincinnati game, yeah. two, including the butt pick two, Mullins will move the ball. Like against this Packers defense that is giving a lot of room for opposing receivers, mm -hmm. Mullins has played well 
outside of the disastrous nine plays over the last two weeks. But the one element that I don't know necessarily goes away when you face a worse defense is like terrible decisions with the ball. Because that's the thing, right? Like Green Bay, that's the element here. Green Bay's defense is has been so bad recently that most quarterbacks are going to have their best day against them, right? But your best day doesn't stop you randomly throwing the ball to a safety. Based off my overreaction and what could happen here, based off where Mullins, I mean, he had seven last week, but he's, he's had a lot of red zone turnovers here, right? Cincinnati to end the game last week against Detroit. The butt pick was close to that. Um, do you go Mullins in between the 20s? <laughs> yes. Because Dobbs, Dobbs magic has been red zone this year, right? Scramble drill, uh, just getting the QB run game involved in the red zone. This actually might be the place to run the two QB system and have red zone quarterback Joshua Dobbs. Love it. Love it. Love Thanks. the idea. You like one to two of my ideas hmm. per year. And I think that's the second one. So no, it's fascinating. Good year for me. For a, a completely different style and results and all those kinds of things, uh, Mullins and Dobbs have the exact same EPA per play as quarterback of the Vikings. How about that? Right? They got there in different ways. That's what I'm saying. Completely yeah. different problems, but apparently has resulted in the exact yeah. same EPA per play. Yeah, I think, yeah, EPA per play, like, you know me, I don't, I don't love it assigning it to a quarterback, but I think the context and how you get there is – is interesting, right? Yeah. Um, on the other side, J.R. Alexander has been suspended by the Packers. <laughs> yes, if you he haven't is. heard this story. It's amazing. It's because last week in Carolina, uh, J.R. Alexander, who is not elected captain for the yeah. Packers. But it's from Charlotte. But it's from Charlotte. So decided that gave him enough, <laughs> enough reason to just put himself with the captains and go out for the coin toss. Went out for the coin toss. And then make the coin toss. And then chose defense. Yes. Which isn't one of the choices you get No, when you win the toss. And the refs tried to save him, did save him, I guess. He said, hey, we want to play on defense. And the ref was like, do you mean defer? It's like, sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. Sounds right. I don't, think, I don't think enough people know this. Again, we, we talked about it off air, and I, I feel like I explain this once or twice a year. But the NFL does not allow you to choose offense or defense. Um, we're, we're, we, we partner with EA Sports and Madden and everything, but... Madden has led us astray through the years. You win the, you win the coin toss and you choose offense or defense in Madden. That's not how it really goes. You choose to defer your option to the second half or you choose your option in the first half. The option gives you the option to choose offense or defense. And if you choose defense, well, the other team gets the option in the second half. So theoretically, Jerry Alexander was very close to choosing defense in the first half and then the Panthers being able to choose what they wanted in the second half would also be offense. And so every now and again, a couple times in history, teams have kicked off both halves yeah, because they chose the wrong things. Right. Because so you like, don't choose offense, defense. You choose the option to choose. Yes. If you are making the choice in the first half, you choose to have the ball. Anytime you have the choice, you have to take offense Right, is the thing. Exactly. So when right. you do make that call in the first half, you choose to have the ball, not to play defense, because otherwise you are literally just giving away a possession for nothing. So, anyway, um, Jerry will not be there, so we are out of a Jerry Alexander-Justin Jefferson matchup, which is always fun. Yeah. Packers defense has been rough. Uh, Jordan Love and those young playmakers, still very intriguing. I think the, the future's bright for the Packers. Um, given how we don't know what's going to happen with Minnesota's QB situation, Who would Packers you start? defense is rough. 
I'm, honestly, I would go Mullins Dobbs combo. I would do the combo. You'd do the combo. I would do the combo. Right the now. the between the, the Cardinals did that with uh, Kurt Warner and Matt Leinart. Yeah, and it was they did it the opposite. So the 49ers did it with Bill Walsh way back in the day, where they would have Steve DeBerg drive to the red zone, and then Joe Montana. That the red zone was seen as the easier thing. So they were like, Joe Montana comes in in the red zone and just just get it over the line. You know, you come in and take the take the like vulturing a touchdown, right? Yeah. And then it sw- then it flipped when the Cardinals did it. The red zone was seen as the more difficult thing. So Matt Leinart was the between the twenties quarterback, and then Kurt Warner would come in for the difficult part of actually getting it into the end zone. Um, so that's the way you would go with you would go yeah, Mullins between the twenties, and then Dobbs to just add the rushing Mullins, element. Mullins arm. In tighter windows, his decision making in tighter windows has not been great. Josh Dobbs' mobility yeah, and that's his ability to run, I think both of those work well. So I'm going Mullins Dobbs combo. Where's Matt Collar on it? Get me on Collar show. We'll break this down. I'm here for it. For the Vikings. All right. I got to go. Okay. Vikings by two. Who are you choosing here? Uh, both teams are still in the playoff picture. Yeah. So they have to win. I mean, the Vikings are they're, they're the NFC's version of the Texans. They're the first team ready to, to pounce if somebody slips out of the wild card spots. And, and the Packers they play, are right behind them. The Vikings play the Lions next week. There's a good chance the Lions are locked into the three seed right. next week and don't, well, you know, Dan Campbell. Yeah. Um, hmm. Don't play their players. We'll see. Man, I don't know about this game. Uh, let's, go, let's go Minnesota at home. All right. I'll take Green Bay to cover the two. We'll see what Harry has. We'll see. Last week, Harry had uh, Harry had nine. You had eight. I had four. God damn it. Yeah. I had a rough week last week. I'll tell him up. How far behind your child are we? Wait, what is this? On the, sand, on the season. Oh, no. Uh, it was nine, nine, five. Oh, good. So I didn't lose to the, the yeah. small child. You got Baltimore there. I took San Francisco. I just need to know how far we were behind. Oh, Harry took San Francisco. On the year. Yeah. Now I'll find out at some point. All right, that's it. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. You'll be back here tomorrow talking Thursday Night Football. Yep, go vote for us to win yeah. an award. It's in oh, the description yeah, yeah. of the show or my pinned tweet, at PFF underscore Sam. I got to run. Sprint into the car. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. I'll see you again Monday. Reviewing, no, Tuesday. Tuesday morning. At 9. 9 a.m., January 2nd. See you next year. Reviewing <laughs> week 17.